FYI, this podcast contains spoilers. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 96 of the podcast. 90 snicks? Yes, 90 snicks of the podcast that goes snicked. Snicked. We're your host, Jason and Denise Venable. What's up? What's up? What's up? 90s callback right there. That's right. Because we're old. (laughs) Um. No, you said something earlier about 96, and that made me think of Uh, what's up? I did graduate. High school in 96. I graduated in 95. I mean, I graduated elementary school in 96. I was spring chicken. <laughs> Your back tells us otherwise. Because it goes out, not because I'm a werewolf. <laughs> oh, yeah, I guess that would have sounded giant. Bad. I don't have a giant hairy back. <laughs> Sorry. Didn't mean to infer that. Yes, that's an infer. <laughs> Why don't you give me that shovel? My shoe sure does taste good. <laughs> With some mustard on it. Anyway, hey, guess what? What? It's time for Two Months to Die, part <gasps> one. I don't like the cover art. We're not even there yet. I'm sorry. Good grief. This is Jump the Gun. I'm sorry. I just wanted to lay it out there. Yeah, and put it out, lay it all out. Yeah. Anyway, before we get to our particular issue of Wolverine, uh, we did get some a little bit of news. We did? Yes. We have news. So in October, after the Death of Wolverine miniseries wraps up. When does it wrap up? Please tell me it's before the marathon. The series runs through September. You just said in October. After the series wraps up. Wow, that means it's probably going to be an issue every week. Oh, dear. Oh, no, we still have all of August. Never mind. I keep thinking we're already in August. No, don't tell me that. I know no, the I know. Polar, Vacation polar threw me all off. Has... Anyway, after the series is over, we're going to have a Wolverine Legacy miniseries. Ooh. And it's going to be written by different people, but Charles Soule, who's writing, or Soleil, I don't even know how you say it. I like Soule. I also like Soleil, so whatever he prefers is fine with me. He has my permission to pronounce his name however he wants. Anyway, he's writing the bookends of the miniseries, the first and last issue. And in the middle, Mike Martz, who's one of the new editors at Marvel, is uh, borrowing some of his talent from DC. Of course, he just came over. He was the Batman editor for years and years. And so a lot of the good writing we've been getting over in the uh, Bat universe is going to come pitch in on some Marvel stuff, including this uh, Wolverine Legacy miniseries. So that's pretty cool. And basically it's going to focus on not necessarily just what his legacy will be, though that will be part of it, but like in comics and probably I guess in other areas of life too, well, you have legacies. Like when you went to LSU, your parents went to LSU, so you were a legacy student. Yes. Members. Our whole family went. FYI. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, in comics, there are legacy heroes. Uh, more so in DC, where you have like four generations of Flash and Green Lanterns and all that. And a little bit in Marvel sometimes. Um, usually it doesn't last, but sometimes you do. But anyway, to the point, each of these issues is going to focus on a different Wolverine-related character. So we have X-23, Dawkins, Sabretooth, 
Mystique, and I can't remember if there's one more or not. I don't know if Raze gets an issue or not. I hope not. <laughs> I kind of like the brat. <laughs> he, he's a punk. Yeah. Anyway, so, you know, people have been wondering what we're going to talk about after Wolverine dies, so there's at least another month's worth of stuff. The podcast uh, will live on. Yes, we'll find something to do, even if it's just flashback. Even if it's just us bantering and reminiscing. Yes. I remember back when Wolverine fought in World War II. Either that or we could um, recreate the comics. <laughs> we'll have like live um, interpretations. <laughs> Interpretive dance? Kind of. Yeah. But right. we'd be reading the comic. Okay. There you go. Now that you put it out there, people are going to demand it. Yeah. They're going to be like, when are y'all doing that? Yeah. When? We'll have special, um, like Set we have flashback watch. episodes. We'll have like interpretive right. Wolverine episodes. Well, we do dramatic readings when the dialogue calls for it. Yes. And can I say, I listened to one about um, Kitty Pride phasing her poop. <laughs> <laughs> I laughed my butt off at work. Yep. So the best uh, part was Ethan was at work and he looked at me and he goes, What are you laughing at? So anyway, that that would be a miniseries that follows the Death of Wolverine miniseries. And then there's going to be all kinds of Requiem issues like all over the Marvel Universe. So there'll be plenty of stuff to talk about for a while. But thought I'd call attention since we are the podcast that goes snipped. Snake, snake. Thought I should bring up the, the Wolverine miniseries. You know so. there's going to be some Wolverine book where Wolverine in an alternate universe from the future goes back to try and save himself. Screw that. Give me like an alternate timeline of that jock story from Savage Wolverine. I'd read that for months. Yeah. But anyway, uh, what do you say we get to some, what do you say we get to some comics? Let's do it. All right. Here we go. Okay. So first up, we have Two Months to Die Part 1 in Wolverine number 10. This is the last Wolverine story, part one of three. Of course, we're still written by Paul Cornell. Have a new artist, Pete Woods, doing the pencils and the inks. I remember him mostly from DC stuff. He did some Superman stuff for a while. So anyway, I'm a I'm a Pete Woods fan. David Curiel still doing the colors. VCs Corey Pettit Woo-hoo! does the letters, and the cover is by Steve McNiven and Laura Martin. And on this cover, we have a bloody fist with a torn glove and two out of the three Wolverine claws are shattered. Mm-hmm. Don't know how you shatter adamantium. I don't know why I keep saying that every time we get a cover. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, and the background is even bloodier than before. And his hand looks like it's been... I'm, I'm physically looking at my own fist, like trying to put it in the same position. Uh-huh. Like his little side knuckle looks like somebody like like where the pinky would be it looks like oh he has a pinky still i know he still has a pinky but like this fat piece of flesh yeah and the fleshy part of the side of your hand yeah it looks like it's been um oh chewed on yeah yeah yep pretty uh pretty violent cover pretty pretty gnarly and the way the blood explodes out of his fist it's like his claws are like shattering from the inside out it's pretty, uh, like I said, gnarly is probably the best word for it. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so there we go. All right, so remember Wolverine is going oh, to die. Can I say I don't like the cover? I know you don't. I think it's okay. I don't, I just, I, I think I told you while you were saving something. 
I figured it out. Like, it's two months to die, so they smashed the second claw. Yeah, but when you count down, you don't count down like that. No. You know, one, or three, two, two one. one. Yeah. yeah. So that's what I don't like about this. My thing is because it's not going to be an even thing. Like, we well, have two more issues, and we'll have one claw gone, and then the skin gone. Yeah, and <laughs> I think it was funny. I think we only have two more issues. I was reading twelve. The last one. I was reading it, and I told Jason. I said, "I really hope they don't do a cover where it's just his hand in skeleton form." And he goes, "Oops, because yeah, you, you don't get ads in the uh, I've I've pad." No, and he goes, "Oops, that's what's coming." And I went, "Oh, it's so predictable." One month to die. Yeah, his middle finger should oh, be Pete sticking Woods out. Oh, Pete Woods is going to keep going. Looks like. The, the, his middle finger should be sticking up for die. <laughs> is this a Freddy Krueger movie? <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> All right. So anyway, remember Sabretooth has kidnapped Wolverine's little ragtag team. Wolverine's been found out. He's no longer undercover. Now he's going to go home and explain himself. Uh-oh. Yep. So we hear him knocking on the door and Quentin Quire's all sleepy head. A 40-year-old Quentin Quire? Well, he looks like he's 40 in that one. Uh, part of that's just Wood's style. He likes a lot of lines. Anyway, I like the little keypad. That's kind of cool. Yeah. But Quire scratches his butt and he lets Wolverine in. And Wolverine's been out in the rain. His hair's all wet. I gotta admit, in this first panel here, I wasn't sure how I was going to feel about uh, Pete Wood's Wolverine. Me too. He's very stocky in a weird way. He's bow-legged. <laughs> well, that too. He, did, he just got off his horse and he rode to the mansion. Um, <laughs> well, howdy, partner. I know he's trying to keep the same proportions that Ryan Stegman had. Maybe like, that's what he's basing his physique off of, but mm. I don't know. And I do think it gets better through the issue. Like in some parts of the issue, he literally looks like Napoleon. Like he's <laughs> a short, chubby guy. Glad I wasn't the only one. Yeah. So anyway, he comes home and, and Beast is like, how dare you? Damn you. And Wolverine's like, well, you put a tracker in my costume and somebody else did. So they reverse engineer it and find out the other person who Wolverine knows who it is. That's Sabretooth. He's love, in New York. I love that Wolverine immediately has already grabbed a beer. Yeah. Well, he's home. Yeah. I'm going to stop by the fridge. Yeah. I'll meet up with y'all. On the way to the lab. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody want one? While I'm grabbing. So anyway, Wolverine, um, a storm calls him out and says, you're not going anywhere. Can you explain your actions? And Wolverine scowls. And then he breaks. He breaks under Storm's abusive charm. And says, he literally like cowers like a kid. No, he smiles. Like, yeah, I guess I, I guess I do. Oh, sorry. I meant like in that one. Oh. I, think I guess he's explaining himself. It's like uh, he keeps I think he drank his beer too fast. Oh. <laughs> beer. What is it? Wait. Brain freeze, he have beer his freeze. Factor anymore. So he tries to sell them that, that he had to sell his act. Uh, Storm says, BS, you pulled your claws on Kitty for real. And Wolverine's like, like yep. Yeah. Some of what I said was, was true. I was hurt. I was lashing out. You people are my family. Y'all deserve better. And Storm, we got to talk. <laughs> and he tells her about Pinch. This whole thing cracked me up. I liked it. Because she's like, uh, after I left, she's like, we didn't have a commitment. Right. I know, but I got, I got stuff to tell you too, Wolverine. Yeah. <laughs> but what cracks me up is then it's like, she in danger? Yeah. If my so, hoo-ha is frozen, uh, you can find out who it was. Well, <laughs> and he goes, 
So you gotta go get her? Yeah. And she found out? Yeah. Now she hates me. Go find her! (laughs) Well, she says, fix your mistakes, work out how you feel, then we'll talk. And she gives him a hug, and then she tells him it's good to have him back. So then we go to Sabretooth's New York base, and in one panel he has a beard, and then the next panel he's just back to really big sideburns. And he's basically, he's, he's determined he can use this spear to remake New York however he wants. But he can't decide how to do it. And Mystique is like, well, duh, we're going to make a mutant paradise. And Sabretooth's like, I don't give a damn about no mutants. Yeah. Like, I don't have, I, I thought like, that I was really cool because Sabretooth's like, I don't have a cause, lady. Yeah. Like, you may be doing this for reasons. I'm just doing this because I like messing stuff up. And he says, besides, in the mutant paradise, am I going to be in charge? No. It's going to be Cyclops or Magneto or one of those douches. Right. And he's like, I don't want to bow down. What's the point? I'm in the same place. So he's, he decides he's going to think about what he wants to do. So then we can get a really cool panel of Wolverine on a rooftop with a full moon behind him. <laughs> he doesn't. He doesn't look like he's about to howl. Yes. So he uh, goes back to his bar. And they're all mad at him for bringing him or for bringing the trouble here. And uh, one of the guys goes, "Actually, uh, he's got his adventure status back," which that was fast. Uh, yeah. I guess he had to click an email. <laughs> That's all it was. Hey. All right, click click this link to restore your Avengers status. That's right. Yeah. I forgot my password. <laughs> well, he probably did it on the way out of the school. Yeah. Hey, someone check my email. Click on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But then the hand ninjas show up, and I guess they look, look like regular hand ninjas to me, but somehow this lady knows that they're Sabretooth's hand ninjas. And so they all fight, and they have a bunch of different weapons. They have bombs and Well, what other hand would or- be after Wolverine? I don't know. Any of the hand can attack a New York bar. I thought Sabretooth had all- control of all the hand. No, just a section. Oh. Because remember, we got the Gorgon guy over in uh, Avengers World. Oh. Uh, maybe they have little, like, tags on their uniforms that maybe. say property of Sabretooth. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. Anyway, we get a really cool close-up Clint Eastwood style of, of Logan's face. I like that panel a lot. But yeah, they're going to town. Turns out one of these guys is a vampire. Uh, we get some more fighting. Then Thor shows up and beats the crap out of some ninjas. And then Wolverine tries to explain himself, and Thor's like, nah, I got it. Except, okay, sorry, I know you kind of blew over this. It cracks me up when the guy, <laughs> all right, I'm a vampire. I admitted. Please, can we not make a thing of it? I already have enough time admitting I write comics. <laughs> a little self-depreciating Paul Cornell. Yeah, but Thor, basically, he has he wants nothing to do with any apology. Uh, so Wolverine's like, all right. So Wolverine determines that the hand was here. They weren't after him. They were after someone else. One of you knows how to find Sabretooth. Ooh. And they do. Bushwick. So it's a crossword puzzle clue that the lady recognizes. Right. And Bushwick, Brooklyn is the geographical center of New York. Right. So if you have an epicenter of some kind of maybe bomb or right. a recreation device... Um, that would be the place you would set it off. And Thor's like, okay, well, I guess you're going to go do this by yourself, huh? And Wolverine looks down and he's like, no, I need everybody. All my friends. We're going to do this right. And Nick Fury shows up with S.H.I.E.L.D. And he's like, you bet your ass. Yep. He was fast, too. I do like how, all right, so we go back to Sabretooth's base. And Mystique says that the hand came back. They failed. They were going to do the thing where they, they killed themselves on their own sword and 
San Francisco's like, did he? And she's like, no, I didn't let him. He's like, good, I hate that nonsense. <laughs> no, he says, good, I ain't got time for that nonsense. So they determined that Wolverine's going to come after him, so Sabretooth is going to accelerate his plans. And I, I just realized Sabretooth is wearing a bolo tie. No, he's not. Look at it right there. That's a bolo tie. Uh, the bolo ties are two little strings, right? Not a bolo tie. It was anything that was like a piece of cloth through a oh, I don't thing know. that holds it together. I always thought it was the two little strings. Oh, well, it looks like a anyway, bolo. Anyway, he's got a fancy tie. So yeah, basically they're gonna they're gonna hit Sabretooth with the big guns. The whole a whole army, Shield, Thor, Avengers, maybe maybe some X Men. They're all going after Sabretooth because this is just too big. I mean, he's gonna recreate New York for crying out loud. Yep. And he decides Sabretooth reveals his world is going to be just a pure barbaric world, simple, where the strongest and the fittest rule, which well, basically no puts mutant. him right atop the food chain. There's no mutants, right? He doesn't say that, does he? He says, he says no, no powers that ain't physical. Right. So like mutant powers are physical. It basically means like you won't be depending on your weapons. Like no guns, nothing like that. Because his physical, his claws, that, that's a pretty strong power that a lot of people can't replicate. Right. But he's like, putting himself like in the in the strongest position. Storm is not a phys- storm's powers are not a physical power. But it's based on your gene. Okay, I guess I just read it as like, oh. we'll keep our sheer strength, but if you have a telepathic power, like you're going to lose it. I don't know. I just read it as like no, no computers, no missiles, no guns. Right. And he says, we're going to start with New York and then the world. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. So then what does he do at the end? Sophie's choice. Sophie's choice. He basically tells Pinch she has to choose who's going to die, Lost Boy or her daughter. Dun, dun, dun. We already know the answer. Well, it's going to be Lost Boy. Actually, the the answer, the comic book answer is probably going to be she doesn't answer and offer does something to get them out of it. (sighs) But if you were a pinch, what would you choose? Well, duh. We already had this conversation. Lost boy on a platter. He, yep. With Apple his stupid, in his mouth. With his stupid dumbass tattoo. Which is funny. I didn't see it. Or you can't really. No, it's not there. Ha ha ha. Flaw. Oh, he had it removed. <laughs> in the like day he's been with Sabretooth. Yeah. That's what the hey. hand just do. That's how <laughs> they you... make their money. They remove tattoos. Yeah. Could you remove this... Um... Find I'm, evil with evil yes. tattoo and um old English I have on my yes. chest. <laughs> and the biggest douche tattoo ever. I'm wondering if that's going to come back full circle, though. Probably. Like, him and Sabretooth will get in it, and he'll do oh, something. Oh, I thought you meant people getting those kind of tattoos. No. I meant, like, Lost Boy and Offer, or Lost Boy and Sabretooth are going to get into it, and he's going to do something very Offerish or very Sabretooth-ish, which reinforces his I fight evil with evil. Do you care if we ever see these guys after this story again? No. I wouldn't mind seeing the offer again. I don't even care about the offer. Okay. I was just curious how how strong. I feel like they've been good characters for the story, though. Yeah, but they kind of remind me of, like, the Star Trek extra. um, (laughs) The red shirts. The red shirts on the away missions. Yeah. We're all going to look over here. And you're all going to die. You go look over there. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So what did you think of the art? I believe this is the first time we've had Pete Woods on the podcast at Ghost Nick, so it's probably your first exposure to him. It is. Um, I want to see more. Okay. You know, the first time you draw something, it's rough because you're still trying to figure out how to draw the characters yourself. I like his storm a lot. Oh, see. The first instant that right here where she's yelling, she looks like a dude. 
Okay. I don't know. It's funny because I don't like to see super women with huge boobs because I feel like you're distracting from their strengths. But then when you turn their features more masculine and downplay their femininity, it bothers me. Anyway, I'm a giant oxymoron. That's what I've decided. Apparently. I like his facial close-ups a lot. Yeah, I like those too. I'm his a little expressions. I'm a little on the fence about his art, so I'm going to give him another couple of books well, to kind of exactly what you got. Yeah, uh, so. to flush out, I guess how he sees the characters. So, yeah. he's going to get a middle of the road grade on his art for right now. Okay. And what do you think of the story? <sighs> oh, I'm going to be different again. <laughs> I can I, tell by your side. Yeah, the giant. Uh, um, I feel like Wolverine is, if he has not already learned his lesson, he's learning it. Because yes. he doesn't go off to get Sabretooth by himself. Although. He, no, he's learned what family means. Right. Again. And, again. But that's how comics go. Characters develop and then undevelop and then redevelop again. It's basically a long lasting characters basically going and merry go around. See, the same thing with Batman. I mean, times where he's like, I'm sad and mad and do everything by myself. I don't want to put anybody else in danger. Then he'll go through a period where he learns the hard way. And then he has to rely on other people. And he has a big bat family where he trusts everybody. And they're all happy. And then something happens and someone gets hurt. And he goes back to like, I can't put anybody in danger. I have to do this all by myself. It's just a big merry-go-round. Because you don't want to read it the same way for too long. Right. And there's really not a new way to go, I guess, or, or there is. No one's come up with it yet. And so you just kind of go back and forth. And it takes a long time. There'll be like years. I think they them. need to hire like a psychologist to be on staff to be like. Well, no, because they ever get psychologically healthy, there's no more comic book. Well, no, but like if Batman like... ever got rid of his psychoses and his neuroses, he'd not, he wouldn't be Batman anymore. <laughs> No, but it would be interesting to see from a psychologist's point of view, like, okay, this person who's had this path probably struggles with this, this, and this. And so based on that, okay, how can we push the story in a different, slightly different direction? I think some writers have done that, though. I think think particularly of the Bruce Jones run of Hulk was a lot like that. I need to go reread that again. That was really good. Anyway, I... I like that Wolverine learned his lesson. I like that it wasn't in a pretty little bow. It was kind of rough around the edges. Right, which is how Wolverine is. Right. Sabretooth's whole Sophie Choice thing was kind of, eh. I think he's just playing with them, first of all, and that's Sabretooth, so I like it. It is Sabretooth, but at the same time, like, okay, he's building his new world, and he knows that Wolverine is out to get him, so now he's going to, like, yo-yo with people. While that sounds like Sabretooth, I think Sabretooth uh, is smart enough to... He has to, more important things to do. Yeah, like he's smart enough to know that nah, I can't be bothered with them. Like, I guess the way I see it is Sabretooth would have just gone. You know those things in the back? I think he's a cat and he can't leave it alone. That breathe, you just get rid of him. But I think he can't resist messing with people. That's going to be his downfall. Always is. So grade wise. Yeah, what are you going to give Wolverine number 10? I'll give it four out of six. Okay, I'm going to give it five out of six claws. Well, we're not too far off. No, but I think I, I think I probably liked it more than you did. All right, cool. Let's move on. So next up, we have Savage Wolverine number 21, The Great War, written by John Argudi, art by Joe Quinones, which is funny because I knew a guy in college, Joey Quinones. Not, not the same guy. Oh, damn. VC's Corey Pettit. Woo! 
is the letterer. And then Kevin Nolan did the cover. On the cover, all right, so basically this is Wolverine in World War One, following right after our uh, bootlegger days. He's going to war, the Great War. Um, so on our cover, we have Wolverine surrounded by a bunch of German soldiers in gas masks. I like the coloring of the cover a lot. I like the German soldiers a lot. I can't. I it's not a butt that I don't like Wolverine. I'm not sure if I like the Wolverine or not. I don't like his face. Yes, yeah, I'm okay with everything. I think else. it looks okay. It just doesn't look like Wolverine to me. No, it looks like um. It looks like a very. It looks like a zombie Batman. I don't know. Like yeah. his, his. I don't know. He does kind of look like Batman. If you yeah. if you drew like a little cowl, yeah, just the shape of his face reminds and his jaw. Just, I don't know. Has no. this artist drawn Batman before? I believe so. Yes. So maybe that's yeah, maybe so. Maybe that's just his type. I don't know. But he's a pretty good artist overall, and I like the cover for the most part. I think the soldiers look badass, and I think the coloring is really cool. I don't think his claws so. are long enough. I don't know. They seem kind of short and squatty. Actually, in the proportionate and right? fit his forearm i think yeah. some people probably draw him longer or shorter but yeah it's, it's always his claws are usually very Go-go stylized claws yeah anyway it's uh i'm not sure if it's wolverine but it's still a nice cover <laughs> <laughs> so the art on the inside not as big of a fan uh basically wolverine is in world war one and there's a guy uh kind of our cliche guy with a broken body but a powerful mind He's the other mutant. Wolverine wants to bond with him, but he just wants to be a regular soldier. Yeah, and basically they, they're, they're taking a bridge, and they're using their powers to do it. And for some reason, they decided they, there needed to be a part two to this story. <laughs> and uh, that's about it. So... Wow, that was a quick wrap-up. Yeah. I'm, just, I'm kind of ready for... I hope they cancel Savage Wolverine. Maybe. <laughs> no. Shocks, Savage Wolverine was one of my favorite yes and i really love the uh zeb wells joe mad art too and it, but ever since those kind of ended it's been really hit and miss and honestly when he dies i don't want a bunch of mediocre flashback stories so i'd rather the book just kind of go away at least until he comes back so That's harsh i'm just and i'm a huge wolverine fan he's my favorite character i'm just kind of over this series right now um so i'm <laughs> I'm going to give Savage Wolverine number 21 two out of six claws. Wow. It's not horrible. <laughs> That's the thing. It's not horrible. It's a decent little story with Wolverine playing soldier. It just There's no point to it. It doesn't really add anything to the character. No, and I feel like there's only one real savage part in this, and it's the page that's kind of monochromatic red. Yeah. Where guys are, like, grabbing their throats and blood's coming out of it. But I don't like the, the art, way it's drawn. I don't like the art that much either. I'm not a big fan. So did you, did you actually read it or just flip through it? Are you prepared to give it a grade or do you want to pass? I'll give it a grade on art. Instead of six claws, no, I'm going to reduce it down to three and just do the art. Okay. 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 Yeah, do it. No, you're going to give it a one, right? Yeah. One out of three, which is basically the same grade I just gave. Okay. <laughs> Anyway, if you just want kind of a pointless Wolverine story in World War One, read it. But you're not going to really get much out of it. At least I didn't. And maybe I'm expecting too much. I say wait till it goes on sale or buy it on eBay. Yeah, or have someone give you the digital code. Yeah. Anyway, that's a Savage Wolverine number 21. Moving on. Okay, so next up we have And the X-Men with Wolverine and the X-Men number six. This is Tomorrow Never Learns. Chapter 6, A Fate Far Worse. Ooh. Written by Jason Latour. Art by 
Mahmoud Azrar, Pepe Larraz, David Messina, and Massimiliano Veltri with Mark Deering. Colors by Israel Silva. Letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. Azrar and Gracia did the cover. What's on the cover? Well, we've got Idy and mm-hmm. Wolverine and a horseman. Yeah, looks like maybe the Pegasus with a lady with a skull face and a flaming sword. Does she have a skull face or does she just have like war paint on? Oh, well, yeah, yeah. I guess so, yeah. What do you think of this cover? I think the use of color on the cover is interesting. I'm not sure if I like how red it is, but I think the art's fine. Um, Wolverine and Idy both look pretty cool. I think the reason why you're having issues with how red it is is because the colorist probably thought red, red and yellow go well together. They do. And they complement each other. And so interesting tidbit, yellow is supposed to make you hungry and red's supposed to make you angry. That's why McDonald's is red and yellow. <laughs> so you get hungry and then you eat and you get angry and you leave. <laughs> So maybe well, he was you trying really to really hungry and really angry <laughs> all at and, the same time. And, and then you somebody. stuff your face full of Big Macs. Right. Um, so I think he was trying to sort of invoke a certain emotion because red and yellow are also uh, frightful colors. And, and so that, I think he achieved that. The, uh, the horse looks pretty scary and the rider, the pale rider looks pretty scary. I'm not fond of the green X-Men in the corner. Now, again, maybe that's what's throwing me off. Now, but see, what's interesting is your green is more like um, Tinkerbell green and my green is like, neon. yeah, and yeah. I don't, your green, the more Tinkerbell green doesn't bother me as much as this neon green does. Yours looks like an 80s album cover. It does. Like an 80s heavy metal album cover. (laughs) Yep. Okay, so overall, I like the cover. Yeah, I think it's it's nice. And we'll just kind of leave it at that. Okay. So this issue, um, it's not good. You didn't like it? No, I didn't like it. I was confused. Well, it's because it's very confusing. It doesn't make any sense. That, I feel like there were three Quentin Quires at one point. No, just two. I'm trying to figure out who drew what. At first, I thought that Azrar was rushed. And I guess he was. That's why he didn't do all the art. I didn't read the credits when I first read it. I was like, man, what happened to Azrar at the beginning? Because I've been really enjoying his Qu- Quentin Choir. And this, this Quentin Choir at the beginning looks like he's 90 years old. Well, so does I Idy. Yeah, I don't understand, and I don't like it. So whoever opens this book is not good. Or I, I won't say that. They're good. They're not my taste. And they weren't good, and they wouldn't get a job at Marvel. But I, yes. don't, I don't care for their style. I don't think their forte is younger people. <laughs> Maybe that's it. They should draw the X-Men Senior Citizens book. Well, and, and the older X-Men that are in this book do look great. Well, I don't know if that's the same guy or not. I, I can't even tell... Who's drawing what here? Because that looks like a different than the front. And then that looks like the same old Quentin Choir. I don't really know who did what, but... Okay, well, clue number one. I thought there were three Quentin Choirs in this thing. So that should explain kind of the overall... Right. <laughs> confusion right, so level. Basically, um, the story with uh, the time-traveling Quentin Choir and, and Suck Dynasty... Resolves itself, and nothing really happens except Quentin Quire leaves the school because, and somehow it's not really explained, he inherits the Phoenix Corporation. Well, because this guy... Young? Young. Or Jung? Yeah. I can't remember his first name, though. It doesn't matter. Anyway, because he goes missing, I guess his will leaves everything to Quire. Okay. 
That's fine. I don't really understand anybody's motivation in this story. I don't really know what's going on or, or importantly, why it's going on. I feel like the Quintons just kind of snap at each other. They talk about it centering around Idy, but they don't really explain why. I just, I just, I was lost and I didn't care enough or wasn't interested enough to read harder to figure it out. Well, and some of the art just it's, it's not me. great. I, I was actually glad when we just read the credits to find out that it wasn't all Azrar. Because I've been really, he's been the highlight in this book by far. And when I thought that he had slipped up, <laughs> I was pretty bummed. Yeah, because there's... But like I guess this, it must be these other artists. Because this panel of choir... I think the like, end of the book is Pepe, right? Um, I'm not sure. Yeah, I think I remember him. That's um, good. Like this panel of choir. Yeah, yeah that's horrible. It's, yeah, it's in the middle of the book, and he, is, he looks like he's 100. All right, so what are you going to grade Wolverine and the X-Men number six? Oh, the fact that I thought there were three choirs, and I'm not overly fond of the art. It's only going to get two out of six, and I'm being generous. I'm only giving this one out of six claws. I, I can, think he I can care page. less to ever read this again. This yeah, book is uh, it's swamping. It's just sloppy. Yeah, I just I don't feel like the story is very tight. No. Well and it's too bad because I really, really enjoyed a tour on uh, Japan's Most Wanted. Yeah. But maybe that was more Jason Aaron than I thought. I kind of thought Aaron gave him like an end point and a starting point and he filled out the rest. But maybe it wasn't that way. Or maybe this is just... It's just you know, not his kind of story. It's a very different kind of story than Japan's Most Wanted. It is a different kind of story. I'm just wondering if he was trying to convey and still be coy. Right. That somewhere along the way he got too coy. And, well, and I will say this. He does still get Wolverine and Storm right. Right. Maybe maybe he just shouldn't write the kids. I, I, I don't know what the answer is. I just have not been. In, I think it's. There's been a couple of issues out of the six that have been great and the rest have been kind of mediocre to not good. I mean, we're coming up on Wolverine's death, so we'll see what that does to the book, and I don't know if they'll change the title. My my kind of hope, and because I, I saw something on Twitter, but I never found any official confirmation anywhere. Uh-oh. And it both excites and worries me. Ooh, share. So someone tweeted something, an un- unsubstantiated <laughs> tweet, <laughs> Somewhere, yes. someone tweeted something about Mahmoud Azrar uh, doing all new X Men. So that kind of is exciting because I'd like to see him with a more seasoned writer okay. like Bendis. Okay. The only part that scares me about that is I don't want to lose Eminent on that book. But he can go do something else. I mean, he's he's been in the X universe for a long time. He may be ready for a change. Right. But um. Anyway. I'm kind of wondering if they'll, if, if I was the editor. If you were the editor. After Wolverine dies, I would fold this book and the kids from this book into Amazing X-Men and cancel the series. Wow, that's a lot. Well, you know, A, I think there's too many X books and I'm tired of spending all my money on them. I was going to say, <laughs> your marketing department would tell you, no, you're yeah. getting an extra three bucks a month out of that thing. Right, yeah. Anyway, uh, let's move on. All right. Now we're moving on to X Marks the Spot, starting with our amazing X-Men number nine, which is World War Wendigo. Part Say that five times fast. Yeah. WWW part two of five. Writers are Craig Kyle and Chris Yost. Did I, I pronounce I've that heard right? Yost and Yost, so... 
Okay. Unless until I eventually tweet with him and confirm it. Gotcha. I don't whatever you want to do. Penciler is Carlo Barbier. Barbary. Barbary. Inkers, Walden Wong, David Meeks, and Car- David Micus. Micus, sorry, David. And Carlo Barbary. Barbary. Aren't you Italian? Yeah. But I only know how to pronounce my name. Okay. Uh, colors are Rachel Rosenberg. Probably Rochelle, but yeah. Yeah, sorry. Rochelle Rosenberg. <laughs> Letters VCs Joe Caramagna. Yes. And the cover is by Ed McGinnis and Marte Garcia. Gracia. Gracia. Yeah. Wow. We're going back to you reading the names. <laughs> I don't know why you decided to do it. I was trying to like <laughs> hold my own. I had obviously failed. All right. So on the, what do you think of this cover by McGinnis and Gracia? It's interesting. I like it. I mean, it's a classic, just kind of group pose. We have Nightcrawler, Storm, Iceman, Colossus, and Firestar in a pink forest fire. Well, the the fire is burning with '80s greatness. I will say, Iceman's the only one that's scared, or looks scared. Well, Iceman's got a cool little ice shield. Storm is yelling and pointing. We're in yes. trouble. She point, is that a point or a fist? Uh, no, she's pointing. I think it's a fist. Oh. I prefer to think of her as going, I love rock and roll. Put another dime in the jukebox, baby. Yep. Um, Nightcrawler looks determined. Firestar looks confused. And Colossus just looks like, you know, I mean Colossus. She's confused because her boobs are too big. She wanted to know where they came from. Oh, is that it? Mm-hmm. Okay. I like the cover. It's all right. So, where last we left, uh, Wolverine went to Canada to see his old friends and found some Wendigo. Yep. And called the X-Men for help. And where we start off, we start off with a little girl on the roof. Mm-hmm. And she's saying, help me, help me. And all of a sudden, she realizes that the ship she's called, or this the blackbird. Yeah, that she's calling for help is now headed towards her house. Yeah, it's going to crash. And so she jumps back into the house and it does crash yeah. into a house. And then we kind of flash back to one hour earlier and we see Storm and Rachel Gray and John Paul, Firestar, Colossus, Knight, yeah. uh, Kurt, uh, and Iceman are all in the blackbird. And basically they're like, a storm ass Rachel, you. you you got anything? You seeing Logan? And Rachel's like, nope, everybody's screaming. Like a primal animalistic scream. Right. So then we, we go. We got some joking and stuff. Yeah. Then we flip over to Wolverine's beating it out with a Wendigo. This is a great panel. It is a great it's panel. Wolverine just slicing through a, a pack of Wendigos. I actually. I really, like, you know how on the iPad you can, like, double tap and it blows it up? Yeah. This is an awesome panel. Oh, I agree. blow it up. Yeah. Anyway, he's fighting, and he gets a little help from Talisman and Puck. Yep, some alpha flighters. And I've never seen Puck, so... Um, this Puck's week, okay. Puck reminds me of the guy from Lord of the Rings, the one that carries the hammer. So he reminds you of a troll. Yes. Or a dwarf. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, he is really tiny. 
Yeah. So. And, well, he's really stocky too. Yes. And Talisman's outfit is. Um, well, you see that lightning coming out of her fingers. Yeah. Yeah, the static electricity keeps her clothes on. Oh, is that how it works? Uh-huh. I was wondering if there was some double stick tape going on. Well, that too. Yeah. That and lightning. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, so then we flash to 40 minutes ago, mm-hmm. and basically the town of Brandon, Canada. Oh, Brandon is so big. Yeah. That's they got, a uh, Scarborough reference for you guys. They got uh, Wendigos out the rear end coming. Yeah. And so people and are so just So all running. the Canadians are trying to get into America. And Thor and Captain America. Just they, your average day. Yeah. Thor and Captain America are basically. <laughs> just kidding, Canada. Are saying, let these people in. Um, and the army's like, no, we can't. We got to contain this whole Wendigo outbreak. This kind of feels like a light-hearted Walking Dead episode. It does, and I will say a little bit further on, they they kind of make fun of the fact that in the magical world of Canada, yeah, only this will happen. Well, I I referenced that earlier. We'll come back to that. Okay. So we go back to the Blackburn and... This is four minutes ago. Four minutes ago. And they get an army... Canadian Royal Air Force, probably. Yeah. That basically says you're flying too low. You need to head back up and then head back to where you're supposed to be. And they're like, we're the X-Men, bitches. We do what we want. He's like, no, I know you're the X-Men. I'm not, like, doubting your credentials. I'm just saying you're too low. And we're trying to help you. Right. And then all of a sudden, when... When Digo jumps on the poor guy's plane. I thought that was pretty awesome. Yeah. And just rips him out of the seat. Yeah, and then he injects. He's like, I'm yeah. out of here. <laughs> yeah, but then the Wendigo jumps and grabs him while he's like parachuting yeah, down. Parachute. That's pretty cool. And so but we do get a little bamf um down yeah. here in the bottom. Yeah, Nightcrawler goes to save him. Yeah. And so they're trying to all of a sudden they realize the whole forest when Dagos are Trying to Wendigo. How do we decide? Wind, to I think Wendigo is probably the most. I'm gonna call it a Wendigo. Wendigo is, yeah, that's fine. Okay. That's Texan. So the, <laughs> the Wendigos. Wendigo. Um, they start climbing Wendigo. up the. Wendigo. Would you like some tea? Yes, please. With a crumpet. Anyway, they climb up to the top of the tree. And for our British fans, I understand that my uh. My British accent is wholly based on Dick Van Dyke from Harry Poppins, so just forgive me. I'm Bob's your uncle. <laughs> I have no idea what Bob's your uncle means. I think it means I think smart it's something dirty. or brilliant. I think, it's, I think it's some kind of dirty Arkansas thing that takes place in England. <laughs> I hope not. I used to have clients in London, and yeah. I would send them art, and their response back was, Bob's your uncle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gimp sleeping. Yeah. Anyway. Um... So, Nightcrawler bamps the pilot into the plane, right. but a Wendigo has Alas. Uh, grabbed on to Nightbird and is slowly ripping a the hole. Blackbird. Blackbird, sorry. Is slowly ripping a hole into the the underbelly of the plane. Yeah. And so, Iceman comes up with an idea. Then we flash to now, and the little girl's coming out going, help me, help me. Oh, I'm going to hide. Yeah. <laughs> airplane and, go crash. Yeah, the airplane crashes, and Iceman's idea was he encased everyone in a block of ice. Which would probably kill them. Right, but Firestar melts the ice. Which would probably kill them again. 
before you know anything happens. My favorite happened. part of this, because I don't really like it that much. My favorite part of this is that Storm has a soppy wet <laughs> half mohawk that fell down. I actually really like this hairstyle on her. It's, it's too Hannah Montana for me. Oh, I'm sorry, but she's missing half of her. I'm hair. sorry, Miley Cyrus. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm laughing. She's such a C word. <laughs> I can't believe you went there. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Uh, the group is now surrounded by a bunch of Wendigos. Yeah. Um, they start attacking. And, and it turns out a uh, little Miss Magic Lightning Nipples um, <laughs> has a spell. They've encountered a smaller Wendigo outbreak before. And the spell is it's going to work. I, I can feel it. We just have to keep the windigos at bay. Right. So they kind of uh, form a little group and decide yeah. she's going to do her magic mojo. Right. Uh, Wolverine's getting lighthearted or lightheaded. I mean, lighthearted. <laughs> lighthearted. Ooh, this is so much fun. <laughs> he gets lightheaded and he starts to fall over and collapse. Yeah. And then right when sh- uh, the talisman says, It's happening. I can contain it. I'm I about can to have feel an orgasm. It working. The spell is. Uh, yeah. Oh, Teen Wolf shows up. Yeah. And he's got three claws. Oh, so it looks like Wolverine caught the old Wendigo bug. That's right, because they put, they state in the book that all you have to do is be bitten or scratched or consumed. Yes, which is different than normal Wendigo behavior. That's right. Usually you have to inherit the curse through cannibalism, which... We, we remember is from the guy that, that, that ducked his uh, co-worker into the meat grinder. That's right. And we did get clarification. The legend only works in Canadian soil. That's right. So you have to be within the borders. So my question is... So they could technically contain it. Just all of Canada would perish. Well, I don't know, though. Now, I mean, if the Wendigo is spreading by contact, then that would probably break the borders. Because it's just Possibly. based on a disease. I did think it was interesting because they couldn't do this. We've never had this before with, with X-Men turning into Wendigos. And we really probably never could have before because what they're kind of saying this is based on, if Wolverine had his healing factor, he would have treated the Wendigo like a disease gotcha. and like kicked it out. But now since he doesn't have his healing factory, he's susceptible to it, and that's why he can turn into a Wendigo, but he still has his claws. That's pretty interesting. Yes. So's Talisman's outfit. Well, you know. How it stays on her, I have no I idea. I already explained that it's static, static electricity. electricity. Yes. Yeah. All right. So what do you think of uh, Barbary's art? We've had him on the podcast before, but I can't remember if you've ever done him or not. Uh, that I've done him? Um. <laughs> <laughs> you better not have. No. I'm coming for you, Barbary. <laughs> um. I think he should change his name to I, Barber. That'd be very mod, very postmodern. Oh my goodness. Um I kinda liked it. I like I like him in general. I will say I think the book suffered a little bit from the different inkers. And I feel like it started off really good and really clean. And like we said, we have that awesome panel with the Wolverine fighting the Wendigos. Yeah. And then we get this page here where I originally complained to you about the colors. Yeah, and I still don't like the colors, but I also think you can tell a difference in the art. Like the art looks different. 
And so to me, that's probably obviously where one of the inking changes took place. Ah. I think the art's not quite as good. I can't really put my finger on what's wrong with this coloring on this because it's not the whole issue. It's, it's just, just this pages. middle part of the book. Like so literally it's just where the, the this, middle is. The, the spread where the National Guard is saying no one can come yeah, across the border. Yeah, it's just too saturated or something. I don't know. But it is very orange. Yeah, but I mean, it's not a good orange. I don't know. Anyway, enough of that. And then the art kind of gets better and cleaner again. So I, I think I think his art suffered a little bit at one point for maybe inking that didn't go quite as well as his style. Or maybe it possibly. was rushed. Yeah, maybe. I mean, it probably was a time situation because they changed inkers. I don't think you just normally do that. I will say that, and maybe it's the problem with the page, is that... There's a lot of stuff going on. Oh, it's a very, this is the middle of the book, the middle double page spread. The one where the. Very busy. Thor and Captain America show up. Yeah, they have their little Avengers cameo. They're Actually, they're trying to let people across the border. Right. Because they're like, we're Avengers. We save people regardless of borders. Right. Avengers have no borders. Heroes without borders. Yes. Yeah, so I really like his Wendigos. Well, I think they look awesome. I think they look awesome, too. I love how they're, like, super hairy. Yeah. And the way he draws the fur looks really cool. Yeah. They have a lot of Pantene going on. <laughs> yep. All right. So what did you think of the story? Um, Because you were really into this, this arc. Yeah, I was. And it was funny because halfway through the book, I told myself, I'm over it. <laughs> <laughs> this is stupid. It's not going anywhere. There, I feel like there's people running around like they're chickens with their heads cut off with no apparent reason or purpose. And then, boom, when Wolverine turned into a Wendigo, 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 whatever, <laughs> however you want to pronounce it, that's when I was like, damn. Damn. Damn, 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 damn. <laughs> I thought it was pretty cool. Um, I like that they explained, like, why there's the earth. Actually, they didn't really explain why there's so many Wendigos, but they called attention to it. Yes. Because North Star, the Alpha Flight guys are like, I thought there was only like one, maybe two of these at a time. Right. And why are there so many? And why is it not, I mean, they're not all eating each other, so it's not always spread through cannibalism. Something else is going on. And we don't get all the answers, but at least they call attention to the questions instead of just go, having us scratch our heads. Like, do they realize what they're doing? Yes, yeah. they do. Um, I, I do also. I had to laugh because when Talisman showed up, I was like, oh, this is stupid. I hate this character. <laughs> Partly because of her outfit. And then when Wolverine killed her, I was like, nice. Well, she's probably not dead. but No, she needs to stay dead. <laughs> yeah, I'll be so, pissed if she comes back to life. It'll be interesting to see what, how long Wolverine stays in Wendigo and what they do with it. Well, he only but, has, what, two months <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> so we're pretty sure he won't stay a Wendigo too, too long. That's right. And this story, see, remember we talked about like overlapping timelines and just because he dies doesn't mean he really dies. This is a five-part story. We're in part two. Mm-hmm. So three months, assuming they double ship maybe once or twice. At the very least, he's probably alive in this book an extra month, at least. See, we'll still have so, plenty of Wolverine yeah, to talk about. Yeah, plenty of Wolverine to talk about. I liked it. What do you think of the the, uh, the the play with the time, like kind of the countdown? You I feel did. like it gave it a sense of like 
urgency. Action and urgency, or do you feel like it was a distraction? No, I... Was it, was it like one of those movies where they say 60 seconds and you actually start counting to see if it's actually 60 seconds? And it's three hours or, later. Yeah, it's like 10 minutes <laughs> worth of action happens. I don't know. I kind of just wish they would have said like, instead of saying an hour ago, 40 minutes ago. I, I don't know how they would have done that because... I kind of liked it, but what are you saying? Well, I guess the little girl's a throwaway. And I guess I just For had now, to, yes. to realize that she's her... Um, inception into this book for now is just a throwaway. Well, it's to create a point of view. Right. But... I kind of liked it because you knew the crash was coming and you're like, oh, wow, all this is going to happen before the crash. Right. And what's going to cause the crash? Like, you know, the X-Men, they, they generally know how to fly the Blackbird pretty well. <laughs> so, you know, like, what's going to make them fall apart? Well, so. and I will say, it, knowing that that was an X-Men plane and that it crashed, it was like, well, they obviously can't be in it. Like, they're not all going to die. Right. So how are they going to get out? But they did die. They died twice. Once when Iceman froze them <laughs> and once when Firestar burned them. And I love how Firestar had enough heat to melt herself. Well, that makes sense. That, that fits within her power range. But wouldn't, wouldn't she be stunned for a second or two from being frozen? Well, yeah, she'd be dead. Alrighty. Okay. Well, anyway, what are you going to grade Amazing X-Men number nine? I'm going to give it five out of six. Okay. I'm going to give it, uh, I'm going to give it four out of six claws. Ooh. I enjoyed it. I'm interested. We'll see how it goes. See what happens next. All right. So, that is uh, X marks the spot with Amazing X-Men number nine. I shot the Watcher, but I did not shoot Nick Fury. Hey, it's time for an original sin update. We're gonna look at number six of eight. Who pulled the trigger? Or not me. <laughs> or also known as Open Your Eye. Written by Jason Aaron, art by Mike Diodato, colors by Frank Martin, letters by VCs Chris Eliopoulos, and the cover by Julian or, or Julian Titino Tedesco. Oh my goodness, that was a mouthful. And we have another really cool cover that's probably cooler than the issue. It has Tell well, us how you really It has the Dama Matrix Natrix standing in the top with her Aquaman fish communication. And then we have original sin and the S makes a shadow. And then we have Thing, Cap, Spider-Man, and Iron Man holding Nick Fury's body with a gun. And it says, who pulled the trigger? And it looks like another cool, like, mystery. Yeah, except nobody shot him. We'll just make the, stuff the, up. The comic that would be based on all these covers would be so much more interesting than the comic we're getting. <laughs> just saying. Tell us how you really feel. All right, feel. so remember we found out that uh, all these Nick Furies are just LMDs, and we have an old Nick Fury in space, and he's been secretly protecting the universe. From everything. Everything. Yep. All right, so we have Dr. Midas, who I didn't realize he was the glowing evil thing. Yes. All right. So, but he is. And the coolest thing about him is he, you know, he can turn stuff to gold. And he decides when he walks out on the ocean, he uses his feet to make like a golden path to walk on. So he can literally walk on water. And he makes a golden shark. Oh, yeah, he does. I didn't even notice that. All right. And they're going to go back to space. So our heroes are also in space. They're confronting old man Fury. And uh, he basically says that he's dying. And uh, he needs, the reason he's gathered all these heroes here is for someone to take his place. And of course, 
The heroes want to know why one of his uh, magic bullets was found in the Watcher's skull. And instead of saying, well, I don't know, let's find out together, he refuses to answer the question. He says, we had a complicated relationship. Yeah. Their Facebook status was, it's so, complicated. So even though it's going to probably turn out that he did it, he's basically telling them, I want you to think I shot the Watcher. Right. Because I want y'all to ignore everything I'm trying to tell you and fight me. Right. I want this to be as difficult as humanly possible. Yes, because I'm old man Fury. I'm a grumpy old man. <laughs> a bitter old man. And so anyway, back on Earth, the other Avengers with Wolverine, Wolverine's in this issue again, uh, find, they're doing an autopsy on uh, Nick Fury's body, and they find out it's a life model decoy. And so they decide, they uh, trace the signal back to the satellite. The secret satellite. Shh. Yeah. So they're going to go into space and... uh. The Avengers, obviously they attack Old Man Fury and his LMDs. Then the rest of the Avengers show up. And they're going to attack Nick Fury. And he turns into Cable. Turns into what? Cable. This last panel, he looks like Cable. Even know. has a bionic eye. I don't know who Cable is. He looks like a Borg. Okay, well, he, looks, he turns into Cable. And he's got two Watcher eyeballs. Where'd the other one come from? All right, I don't know. I don't care. Um... <laughs> So basically, I thought the art, again, was great. What do you think of the art? I thought the art was good. What do you think of the story? Oh, I don't care. Um, so. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay, I actually enjoyed it a little bit more I than did. you did. Apparently, yeah. No, it's not awful. It's just nothing happens. And these last three issues could be one issue. Like, yes. seriously. Yes. And it I like be. Jason Aaron, so don't don't think I'm ragging on Jason Aaron. Oh, you're totally ragging on Jason no, Aaron. No, I like Jason Aaron. I'm just this You series, just don't like this one. It's just not doing it for me. It's not enough of what I think it should okay, be. Okay, let me ask you. There's only two issues left. Are you going to buy the other two? Well, yeah, I'm going to finish it out. Okay. For the podcast. For the podcast. If we didn't have the podcast, would you buy the other two to finish it out? Well, yes, because I'm six in. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not interested in it anymore. But I, I'm still going to buy the other two. I'm curious. I'm just, I'm getting kind of bored with it. I will admit they're stretching things out. They're barely throwing you a bone. Yeah, barely. The biggest exciting thing about this book is the potential that probably won't happen. But just the potential has me excited that Mike Diodato can do a book of Nick Fury's replacement. Whether it be any of the, these three would be my, my candidates to replace him. Black Panther, Moon Knight, or Winter Soldier. Any of the three of them doing this job? Who's Moon Knight? Moon Knight, the guy in the white who looks really badass when Diodato draws oh, him. Oh, okay. Any of those three doing what we're describing Nick Fury's real job as being, and Mike Diodato drawing it, I'd be all oh, I'd be all over that like a bowl of Rice Krispies with blueberries in it. I think it should be Bucky, but then Bucky has to change his name because Bucky's not Fury is like a. Well, you can change his name to Bucky the Space Ranger. No. <laughs> <laughs> Instead oh, of the Winter Soldier. No, just leave Actually, him Winter Soldier. I, I don't think Moon Knight can do it because they, they've always had that crazy thing with him, like he's schizo. So oh, he no. couldn't handle the job. Personally, since Hickman has kind of dethroned Black Panther in Wakanda, I'd love to see him do it. Plus, Diodato draws a badass Black Panther. And it'd be cool to see him do something like on a super uni Marvel Universe-wide scale. Like, I don't know. This is probably all a pipe dream, but hey, it's one hell of a pipe dream, ain't it? Either that or or maybe Fury wants to steal everybody's life force so he can be young again. Maybe. Oh, we didn't mention he's dying because the Infinity Formula 
is slowly seeping out of his body. And it's kept him young all these years, but now that he's leaving... He's aging rapidly. Yeah, which I don't... How do you feel about that? We see that in lots of stuff. Movies, TV shows, comic books. It makes there's sense. This thing, does it? Or shouldn't they just age normally from that point on? Yeah, but... Mm, I see your point, but I like the idea that that's sort of the the curse... Right. Yeah, to, okay. To it is more dramatic. For so long. Yeah, it's more dramatic. All right, cool. When are you going to grade Original Sin number six? I'm going to give it four out of six. Okay. Just gonna, because it's, you're right, it is stalling. I'm going to give it three out of six claws just because the, the art is so awesome. And as much as I'm not enjoying this, this story, and that's not even right, I'm enjoying this story. I'm just no, kind of tired okay. of it. So I, when you were sitting there talking about it, all I could think of was, he's right. Like, it's a great idea of a story. Yes. They're just throwing a bunch of bullshit here and there <laughs> as filler. And I, I don't want the filler. Just give me the story. Right. And then the BS stuff just needs to, yeah. like, it needs to be edited. They're, they haven't had the right editor on this. Well, I will say one thing this book has done, at least for me, that I, that I do really like and what's giving it a little bit higher grade for me is that it's making me think of a lot of other things. Well, and so in that regard, like it's it's got my imagination going, not necessarily with this story, but with all the things that could happen because of this story or ways the story can maybe be a little bit different. I don't know, like the wheels are spinning. And so in that regard, I'm interested in the book, but I'm really more interested in what the book could be than what it actually is, I guess. Yeah, but I guess when I read it, like when I was at the part with Fury and the Watcher, and when he got done telling the story, I was like, what? <laughs> and then I he moved on and he never went back to it. And I was like, right. I'm assuming... I feel like I just had a conversation with one of my relatives. <laughs> I'm assuming the last two issues will either be jam-packed full of answers or we won't get any. All right, cool. Well, I shot the Watcher, but I did not shoot Nick Fury. Okay, so next we have our Avengers Spotlight, which will focus on Uncanny Avengers number 22 and Avengers World number 10. Uncanny Avengers number 22 is Avenge the Earth Conclusion, written by Rick Remender, art by Daniel Acuna, letters by VCs Clayton Cowles, and the cover is by Daniel Acuna. And it says after Kirby. So it's a Kirby tribute. And it's Kang. And we have some uncanny Avengers attacking him. Uh, Thor, Havoc, Sunfire, and Wasp. And it's an alright cover. I don't really like the way Kang looks ever. So I'm not ever thrilled to see him as a centerpiece of a cover of any sort. But, um, you know, whatever. No one asked me. So remember, Kang has... Um, tricked the Uncanny Avengers into going back in time in theory to save the world by defeating the um, Celestial Executioner. But really when they defeated him, Kang decided to suck up all the cosmic energy so he can merge all the timelines into one and rule everything. He can be Kang, conqueror of the universe. So now the Uncanny Avengers have to stop him. That involves fighting his uh, ragtag team of misplaced time bandits. There is a really cool scene where Thor comes up and Kang says, You're angry, Thor. I see that. No one likes being used, least of all an arrogant failure. By my code, I owe you a fight, my puppet. And once I am done drinking, once I have had my fill, you will have your opportunity to die in my hand. And he throws him off into space. 
It's a pretty cool scene. It's probably the coolest Kang is in this whole series. <laughs> so Sunfire and Havoc see Kang at the Celestial, kind of drinking up the god power. They decide they don't have enough energy to defeat him, so they have to absorb the power too. And then they can hope to fight Kang. But Kang stabs Sunfire and disintegrates him. And the energy burns Havoc's face, so he's two-faced for the rest of the issue. And then the Infinity Watch shows up, which has some future Guardians of the Galaxy and some alternate other future people. And then come in, they're going to help fight Havoc. taps into the cosmic power he absorbed, and uh, he fights back, even though it may cost him his daughter, who Kang is holding ransom. Then Sunfire comes back, and he is... um. Now, Sunfire the Atomic Knight. And he basically looks like, I don't know, if the Human Torch was radioactive. Uh, the Apocalypse twins realize that they played right into Kang's hand. And then the Avengers uh, take down their ship. Or Sunfire does, I'm sorry. Sunfire takes down their ship. Wolverine escapes in an escape pod. And that's the only scene he's in. He radios into Captain America to tell him the Apocalypse twins are falling from the sky. Um, Havoc starts beating the hell out of Kang, and Kang uh, disappears and takes all his little time soldiers with him. The sentry, uh, the horseman sentry, who Janet has convinced is the guardian of the earth, takes the um, celestial off to be reabsorbed so his energy can be recycled or whatever. But he warns them that they will have the wrath of the celestials over this course of action. So Rogue survives and she gives Scarlet Witch cast a spell to give everyone their powers back that Rogue had borrowed, but she still has Wonder Man trapped inside of her. So I guess, you know, she used to permanently have Carol Danvers' powers. I guess now she permanently has Wonder Man inside of her. Wish I had Wonder Man inside of me. (laughs) Permanently. Anyway, um, yeah, so Havoc is apparently scarred for life, maybe? I don't know. He's going to be two-faced from now on, and uh, it appears that they cannot have their daughter, but I guess Janet and Havoc are still married, or feel like they are, anyway. But actually, my favorite part of the whole issue is there's a blank black page that says Avenge the Earth finale, and then the epilogue in the Sahara Desert. From the crash site, and we have um, Horseman Reaper and Horseman Dokken carrying the limp bodies of the Apocalypse twins. And the Reaper is complaining because he was um, promised that he would be able to kill Rogue and Captain America. And Dokken says, well, I was promised I'd get to torture my old man for a hundred years. Not all contracts can be enforced, Reaper. And Reaper's all pessimistic, says it doesn't matter that we're alive. And Dawkins says, well, we didn't get what we wanted, but the sun will come up tomorrow. Bet your bottom dollar that tomorrow. So he breaks into musical at the end as they're walking through the desert. And uh, that's that. Um, I got to say, I'm glad this story's finally over. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I've really enjoyed it. But I feel like it was time to do something else. <laughs> I will say, as it moved more towards Kang and away from the Apocalypse Twins, my interest waned a little bit because I don't really like Kang that much. Just not a fan, never have been. He's just kind of a time-traveling megalomaniac, and that can be okay, but when you combine that with my uh, Marvel time-travel fatigue, or actually just 
comic book time travel fatigue. I'm just, I'm burnt out on time travel. And it's not Reminder's fault because this was a really good story. I just want to do something else for a while. <laughs> um, and the art still fits. Acuna's art fits this arc really well. It was a good combination. I thought it was a little bit of an anti, I don't know. I don't like Infinity Watch, these these clowns showing up. Kind of over all the, the different people that King collected from across the different timelines. Um, I would have liked to have seen more of a climax against the Apocalypse Twins. Instead of them just being like, oh damn, King tricked us. And then Sunfire shoots them out of the sky with his new powers, which... I don't know how. I, so let's let's talk about the, the implications. So Dawkins and Reaper are still alive, but they're still in their um, death personas. And then Sunfire is this new, like almost cosmic entity. Which aren't there enough cosmic entities running around Marvel? We really need another one. Kind of liked it when he when he died. <laughs> um, Rogue being trapped in Wonder Man. Ah. Uh, I'll see what Reminder does with it. The jury's out on that one. But overall, I'm going to give Uncanny Avengers number 22, four out of six claws. So Avengers World number 10 is written by Nick Spencer. Our artist is Marco Cicchetto, or Cicchetto. Andre Mosa is the colorist. VC's Joe Caramagna is the letterer. And Simone Bianchi is the cover artist. And on this, we have Bumblebee Iron Man fighting... A super aim scientist. It's a pretty sweet cover. I like it. So remember we have all these different things that aim is kind of unleashed on the world. You know, the the dragon with Madripoor on his head. There's the city of the dead under Europe. Aim Island is attacking. There's all these weather phenomenons. The Avengers are tracking it. But then to make matters worse, the head of aim, um, what's his name? Andrew Forson goes on TV to basically espouse his views and how they're going to help clean up everything. And they have all this renewable energy. And, you know, blah, blah, blah. And they're doing good. And everybody's eating eating out of his hand. They're all loving it. The Avengers are like, oh, hell. Um, I do really like Bruce Banner's really sarcastic in this issue. Like, overly sarcastic. But it's funny. I like him. So the head from Spear, Zhang Jing... Uh, makes contact with Maria Hill and says, uh, we should we should play together. We should cooperate. Um, we see that they rescued um, Shang-Chi, Black Widow, and Wolverine. But then the uh, the circle, um, it gets attacked. The dragon attacks it, the big magical dragon. So the communication is lost. And Iron Man crashes the, uh, the talk show and confronts Andrew Forson, the, the big aim... Ha-ha. And uh, basically he turns, he says they've been stealing, not stealing, um, gaining technology from our own future and using it. And they're going to give it to the world for free. And then also part of that means blowing everybody up somehow. <laughs> so then we see um, that Cannonball and Sunspot went to the future. And they come back with the next Avengers. Remember them from the Ramita Avengers run? Anyway, that's kind of where we end up. When the AIM is about to attack the White House and uh, make make this AIM country. This is AIM country. Well, there should be some like banjo, bluegrass. Anyway, this is a pretty fun issue. Kind of finally kind of pulling all these stories together. And so that it works. And the art was good. But I like Coquetto or Chichetto, however, however he says his name. I think he's a good artist. So I'm going to give Avengers World number 10, four out of six claws. All right, well, that's going to do it for Avengers Spotlight. 
All right, so next up we have Where's the Logan? And he's in a few things this month or this part of the episode. He's in uh, Nightcrawler number four, Miss Marvel number six, and Magneto number seven. All right, first up, Nightcrawler number four, written by Chris Claremont, art by Todd Nauck, colors by Rochelle Rosenberg, letters by VCs Joe Sabino, and the cover is by Jamie McKelvey with Matthew Wilson. And on this cover, we have Nightcrawler fighting the Tri-Mega. And he's, uh, basically there's three of them. That's why they're called the Tri-Mega. And Nightcrawler is teleporting between them, kicking and punching them. It's a nice cover. All right, so remember, uh, Nightcrawler's, um, adopted sister and girlfriend and his adopted mother have come back. And, uh, they're kind of up to no good. Well, at least the mom. And the Tri-Megas are attacking the Jean Grey school. So Nightcrawler and Wolverine are leading some of the X-Men to protect the students. Uh, we got a really good, a lot of really good dialogue between Wolverine and Nightcrawler. I don't know, it just, just really works. Uh, just a lot of really cool panels of Wolverine and Nightcrawler. Yeah, of course everyone's telling Wolverine to take it easy because he doesn't have the ceiling factor. But of course we know he's not going to do that. And they find Beast and Storm's clothes. With no body and just lots of sheets of paper. And they pick up the, the papers and they're all photographs of memories of Beast and Storm. And we realize that, uh, uh, what's her name? Regali had basically turned them into their own memories, like in photographs. And so they don't exist anymore. And uh, Amanda's going to try to fix it with her magic. She can uh, reverse the spell, she thinks. But when she starts putting them back together, which looks really cool, by the way, she realizes that they're missing all the memories of Nightcrawler's return. Uh-oh, so they won't remember he's alive, or why he's alive, or how he came back. And we realize that Margoli's plan was to take those memories, and now that she's found all the secrets to this plane of existence through her magic, she's going to go try to uh, find all the secrets of heaven and hell and the afterlife. So she's going to use uh, Beast and Storm's memories of bringing Nightcrawler back to figure out how to cross over. Nightcrawler and tells Amanda that he and Wolverine will stop Regali. She needs to stay here and, and finish putting Beast and Storm back together. And he'll leave the Bamps to protect her. And so that's what happens. So Wolverine and Nightcrawler run off. We get lots of cool panels on the X-Men fighting these droids. It's really cool. Uh, Wolverine kind of gets taken out. He tells Nightcrawler to go ahead. He'll stay and whoop up on some robots. And he gets a big grin on his face. And yeah, he takes his, his uh, claws off, the little forearms. And he's just gonna, just gonna fight. He's gonna fist fight these droids, these robots. Pretty cool, pretty badass. Then we see Margali has opened up the world beyond, she calls it. And there's a big hole in the sky. And we see all these planets and lights and little tiny Milky Ways and all that. And uh, she's going to go. She's going to go take it all for herself. And Nightcrawler realizes that the Trimegas were sent, all the robots were sent by Margali to distract the X-Men. It's all part of her plan, all part of her master plan. So then Amanda shows up. She's finished with uh, Beast and Storm. And she starts fighting. And uh, they take Margali out, but they can't close the gate. And uh, stuff's going to start coming in and out. 
you know, anytime you have an open portal, it always leaves you uh, future stories, right? Of what crossed over unintentionally that nobody saw. Anyway, Amanda says she doesn't have the power or the spell to close it from this side, but maybe there's something on the other side that they can do. So they decide, okay, let's go, and they hold hands and they run through. But when they pass through, it's like Nightcrawler hits a brick wall, an invisible brick wall, and it stops them. And so Amanda's on the other side, she's in heaven, but Nightcrawler is stopped by a barrier, and he can't get through. And Amanda says, "Uh uh-oh, I guess when you deliberately chose to walk away from this, you're not allowed back in, at least not in this form. And Nightcrawler's like, no, I have to help you. And Amanda Amanda tells him to just stay on Earth. She'll find her way back to him eventually, or he will find his way to her. If it's meant to be, they will be together. And Nightcrawler doesn't like it, but she closes the gate and leaves him there on Earth. And all the uh, Tri-Megas disappear. They all go puff in rainbow-colored smoke. And uh, everyone asks Nightcrawler if he's okay, and he's like, nope, I saved the world, but I've lost my heart. Yeah, so, the art in this book is amazing. I love the way Todd Nock, Nauk, uh draws both Nightcrawler and Wolverine, and it was fun to see him draw a bunch of the other X-Men. And I'm in no hurry to get him off of Nightcrawler, because he's perfect for this book. But if the chance ever arises, and he ever wants to, he's definitely earned the shot at drawing one of the major X-Books. Like, he just, he has the dynamic of those characters and the action, just, he's got it down, he's ready. He always has been. Yeah, the story was really good. This is, you know, part of the part of the trouble with modern day Chris Claremont is you get all the pluses and minuses that come with that, all the wordiness, all sometimes the over drama. But this book was a great kind of classic Chris Claremont X Men story, and it focuses on Nightcrawler. But this could have easily been an late 70s, early 80s issue of Uncanny. Because there were issues back then that focused on different characters. This could have just been right out of that. And it works. Even in this series, I've been kind of up and down on the scripting. But this issue is, just I don't know, you feel the magic. Everything just kind of, it's the right pace, the right amount of action and drama and dialogue and characterization. It's just, it's, it's wordy. There's a lot of dialogue, but it's not too much. And the concepts are cool. The concept that uh, Margali wanted to uh, take her power and take it to, to the, the, the worlds beyond this world, kind of the next life, and see what she could do with it there. And Amanda having to go to the other side to close it. Nightcrawler can't get through. Like, he's forbidden from, from passing back over. thought all that was really interesting. And then, of course, like the separation of the two. Here he is. He just came back to life. He just reestablished his relationship with his adopted sister girlfriend. <laughs> and now, immediately in our first arc, they're separated. He's lost her again. This time, she's you know crossed over and not him. So anyway, I just I really like this issue a lot. Um, I like the way Wolverine's portrayed in it. It reminds me of old Claremont Wolverine where he's tough but nice doesn't make the best decisions but is always ready for a fight and I don't know I just I really dug this issue my goodness we talked about wondering about some of the coloring in uh, Amazing X-Men but this is the Rochelle Rosenberg colors I'm used to these are awesome awesome colors this book just looks fantastic all the way around so um I'm gonna give Nightcrawler number four six out of six claws I'm I'm curious whether this series can 
maintain as a solo series. I mean, the longest Nightcrawler has ever been able to go is 12 issues, I think, or was it 16? Can't remember. But either way, under 20. And so I'm curious to see what what we can get out of the series. But the high points in the first four issues, which would be the first issue number one and issue number four, have been really, really high. And so I think there's definitely potential. It feels as much so far like just an X-Men book that focuses on Nightcrawler. But hey, I'm okay with that part too. Anyway, Nightcrawler number four, six out of six claws. Let's move on to Miss Marvel number six. This is written by G. Willow Wilson with art by Jacob Wyatt. Colors by Ian Herring, letters by VCs Joe Caramagna, and oh wow, look again, Jamie McKelvey and Matthew Wilson did the cover. On this cover, we have Miss Marvel sitting on the steps in front of a bank, taking a selfie as she uses her stretchy arm to punch a bank robber out. And there's dollar bills flying through the air, and she's got a little iPhone out, she's taking a selfie. Heroes at Work. So remember, I, we haven't had Miss Marvel on the podcast yet. The new Miss Marvel. And this is not Carol Danvers. This is um, Kamala Khan. And she's a young, um, what is she? Shoot, I forget now. Pakistan, I don't know if it's Pakistani or something else. Crap, I really... Anyway, she uh, is a young girl in a conservative Muslim family, but she has these new superpowers, and she's trying to figure out like, what to do with it all. And, you know, kind of she's been... A little more westernized, but her parents aren't. And so we have all that kind of thing going on, that dynamic. Basically, we start off, we find out that in the first five issues, she's been fighting a bad guy called the Inventor. And she's in Jersey City, so she's not quite in New York. Anyway, the Inventor has been sending these little robots after her, and she's destroying them. There's a part where she turns into a couch. So basically, she has shape-shifting, stretchy powers. So that's okay, I guess. Anyway, we're seeing where she has to meet Sheikh Abdullah and have a little powwow. And she was expecting it to go very bad. You know, she's been breaking curfew. She's been missing stuff. You know, typical like teenage superhero stuff, trying to balance being a hero with your family responsibilities and school and all that. And she's kind of had some successes and some failures. And she's worried she's going to get um chastised, basically. But he basically says, well, you know what? You say you're helping people. You won't tell me exactly what you're doing. But you seem honest. You stayed out of trouble. Just, if you're going to help people, do it the best you can and do it with honor. He says, I'm asking you for something more difficult. If you insist on pursuing this thing you will not tell me about, do it with the qualities befitting an upright young woman. Courage, strength, honesty, compassion, and self-respect. And she's like, okay, yeah, I can do that. We got a deal. And she says, but I need someone to kind of help me learn how to be better at helping people. You know, that's what she's calling being a hero. And then uh, she goes to the comic shop, and there's a big hole in the ground, a big pothole, and she hears a growl. So she's going to go check it out as Ms. Marvel. And um, she's exploring the sewers, and she finds one of the inventor's underground lairs, and there's a bunch of uh, giant alligators with, like, robot cameras on their head. Uh, then she meets... Some of the inventor's robots. We have a, a clone of Thomas Edison with a parakeet head. And some guy with a really bad skull. Anyway, she's kind of arguing. Apparently the inventor is talking through them. And a big sword flies and cuts one of the alligator's cameras. And Miss Marvel's like, alright, I'm going to take another bad guy. I'm going to take him out. And she goes, power attack. She, she has a lot of video game iPhone references in this book. But she goes to attack the new bad guy, and uh-oh, it's uh, Wolverine. 
one of her uh, role models, one of her idols that she looks at. She says uh, she has him first in her fantasy hero team. <laughs> but uh, Wolverine's like, are you kidding me, kid? I could have killed you just now. But she's too excited. She's like, you're Wolverine. And he's like, oh my goodness. And she talks about how she had a Wolverine Storm fanfic that ranked fourth on the website. And he's like, that's great. <laughs> and it turns out the fanfic was about uh, Wolverine and Storm fighting giant alien blobs that fart wormhole, wormholes. And Wolverine's like, oh wait, then what was what won? And that was fourth. What was first? And she's like, um... Cyclops and Emma Frost had a romantic vacation in Paris, and Wolverine growls and frowns, says, this is the worst day of my life. <laughs> so they fight the alligators together, and uh, they're going to go after the adventure. Wolverine is basically on the trail of one of his students that ran away, and he thinks she joined a cult, and he and Miss Marvel decide that this cult has to do with the inventor, and so they're going to go stop him and help free the kids in this cult and bust up the inventor and all that good stuff. Miss Marvel saves Wolverine. They fall out of a drain pipe. They get the inventor floods them and she uses her stretchy arm to grab Wolverine. And she goes, uh, oh my lord, you're heavy. And he's like, sorry, metal bones. So he tells her to let go that a, a planned fall, he can do better than an accident fall. So he drops. So we have a cool panel where he like Olympic style dives into the sewer water below. And she falls and she shrinks so she can break the water easier and not hit the bottom. So she turns tiny, and Wolverine scoops her up. He's like, nice trick, kid. And it uh, kind of reminds me of the way he used to interact with, like, Kenny Pride or Jubilee or, you know, Armor, any of the various kind of young girls he's taken under his wing. And he talks about how hurt he is, and she's like, oh, wait, I know all about you, though. You have a healing factor. He's like, had a healing factor. And she's like, oh, no. And so she helps them up, and they're going to go after the adventure, and a, a giant alligator pops out of the sewer, like, even bigger than the other ones. This is, like, not quite Godzilla size, but he's he's really big. And Miss Marvel, her internal dialogue is like a video game. is like, Dungeon Boss, most ginormous alligator ever. Difficulty rating 10, group size solo. All right, so, Miss Marvel, I think this book is very important. I think you have, like, a very real, like... Hero. First of all, we have a new kid hero, which I've been enjoying, the new Nova. The internet. We need, like, kind of the younger heroes that kids can relate to. And she's a young female hero, which is very important. And then, you know, you have the minority and being uh, Muslim is very different. And one thing I've always loved about comics is as a kid, it always expanded my borders, my boundaries. I think that's important, especially reading X-Men always taught me to be like open-minded and accepting of people's differences and all that. I think that helped shape kind of my worldview. And I think this book can do the same thing. The art is very um kind of indie, imagey, which some people really, really love. Uh, this particular issue, I thought the art was okay. thought it had some bright spots, but I didn't like Falling in love with it. Miss Marvel as a character. I do think she's important. I'm not sure if I can read her all the time. I like the part like her talking with the Sheik and like if you're gonna do this, I do it right. Do you can still be a hero and honor your family and your culture and your religion and your traditions. I, I thought that part was really cool. I think honestly I'm just a little too old for this book. <laughs> All the, like, video game references and stuff like that, I just don't really relate to. And I find it a hair bit annoying. But I think 
this book would be great for younger readers. And it's a book that can be like all ages, but not be a kid's book. Like it's set in the regular Marvel universe. It's not like a special like universe for kids to read or anything. Like it's, it's full on superhero, regular Marvel U. But it's appropriate. It's age appropriate. So it's not dumbed down, but it's something that I wouldn't I wouldn't care if Ethan read it or not. Like I'd be perfectly cool with him reading this. And that's important to me. There need to be more comics set in the regular like space of Marvel that accomplish that. Because growing up, I had a lot of that. And it wasn't like an alternate universe. It wasn't a different storyline, different reality. It was regular just Marvel at DC where I can read it. And it was okay for me to read. So I think this book is really important. I want it to stick around. I don't know if I can read it all the time. I just... The, the video game, like the, ooh, power up, power attack, difficulty level, dungeon boss. Like, it's a little too Scott Pilgrim for me, and I like, I love Scott Pilgrim, at least the movie. And, but I don't know, it just didn't work on quite the same level for me this time. So, and when I say it's, like, great for kids, I don't mean that in a condescending way. I mean that in a very positive way. Make sure you understand what I'm saying. Uh, but as far as for me reading this book... I'm going to give Miss Marvel number six, four out of six claws. It was interesting and there's nothing wrong with it. I just, I don't know. I don't want to be like a grandpa. And I feel, I know, I feel like I'm sounding like one. And just, it, it just felt a little young for me. It is what it is. But it's good. I want pe- people should read it. People should support it. It needs to stick around. Okay, Magneto number seven. Wolverine's kind of barely in this. Written by Colin Bunn. Art by Gabriel Hernandez Walta and Javier Fernandez. Colors by Jordi Belair and Dan Brown. Letters by VCs Corey Pettit. Cover by David Yarden. And the cover's all right. It's Magneto in his black suit and like a gladiator pit. Flanked by a Predator X. And that's right where our story is. Basically, his new uh, contact tells him there's something going on in Hong Kong. Mutants disappearing. Magneto's going to go figure it out. He's like, well, how will you find them? And he says, well, they're kidnapping mutants. I won't find them. They'll find me. And uh, the girl, the contact points out that it's not just like obvious mutants. I guess normal looking mutants, quote unquote. So whoever's doing this must have some kind of tech to like detect mutants. So Manino's like, all right, so he gets himself kidnapped and they put him in the pit. He's like, oh man, they're going to make me fight mutants. That sucks. Not going to happen. But nope, he's not fighting mutants. Basically, they're feeding mutants to Predator X. So Magneto takes it out, and there's a part where he gets scratched. And apparently, and I kind of remember this, if a Predator X like draws your blood, like it tastes your blood and licks it up and gets some of your surface level memories. And one of the memories we get is Wolverine uh, stabbing Magneto with his claws. That's the only time Wolverine's in there. Anyway, Magneto takes it out. Then he finds the guy, one of the guys running it. He's like, I know you're not like the big boss. You're just a dummy. So tell me where I can find, like, tell me how to climb up the ladder. I want to go up the chain of command and you're going to help me. And um, he basically says, uh, no. And then we don't find out if he actually says anything or not. But basically the Predator X is, he killed one, but there's two more chained up. And he uh, injects this guy full of mutant growth hormone so that he's temporarily a mutant. And he throws him in the pit and the Predator X's eat him because for at least the moment he's a mutant or has mutant powers and they detect it and they eat it. So yeah, it's funny you know series still trucking right along. It's a good series. Uh, feels like a good TV show, which I really like. I'm going to give Magneto number seven. Uh, we'll give this particular episode, uh, we'll do four out of six claws. So I really like the part of the end where it just kind of evil turns a guy into a, a mutant temporarily so the predators will eat him. I thought it was pretty, uh, pretty dastardly, but I loved it. Yeah, so that's going to be uh, Where's Logan for this episode. <laughs> just kidding. I only thought we were done with this segment. 
You know, actually, I thought I was done with the whole episode. I had edited it. The whole thing was about to upload it. And I went to read Amazing Spider-Man number four. And, uh, uh-oh, Wolverine's in there. So, so we're going to talk about Amazing Spider-Man number four. An original sin tie-in that actually ties into original sin. As opposed to one later that won't. <laughs> this is written by Dan Slott with art by Humberto Ramos. Inked by Victor Alazaba, colors by Edgar Delgado, letters by Chris Eliopoulos, and the cover is by Ramos and Delgado. It's a very sketchy cover of a high school Peter Parker at the day of his origin story. And there's another girl holding her arm and there's the radioactive spider on her arm. So we start off and um, Peter Parker uh, gets a call from the Avengers. He's like, all right, they're going to use me again. Because remember, everyone's kind of mad at him about all the stuff that Dr. Octopus did when he was in his body. A lot of bridges were burnt. He's got to kind of put them back together. So he's going to go help out, and it's the original Sin scene where they're uh, fighting all the mindless ones and trying to take the bad guys. Uh, everyone Spider-Man talks to, he kind of drops hints like, Hey, it's really me. I know I've been acting weird and, you know, Dr. Octopus and blah, 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 but hey, it's me. And there's a scene with Wolverine, and he's like, Kid, shut up. Now's not the time. The guys were fighting. They murdered the Watcher, gouged out his eyes, and stole his tech. You know what that stuff can do in the wrong hands? No one wants to listen to poor old Peter Parker. I will say from this art, Humberto Ramos should do a Hulk book. His Hulk is very intriguing. Just saying. Yep, so then we have the part where the orb releases all the secrets from his eyeball secret bomb. Spider-Man gets this flash of all this crazy stuff of the day where he was at the lab and he got bit by the spider. And he sees somebody else got bit by a spider. Of course, he didn't see this, but remember, the Watcher sees all. And this girl goes home, and she does not react to her powers as well. Uh, She's shooting webs out of control, so she actually gets webs. So she doesn't get all the same powers as Peter. And her name is Cindy Moon, and Ezekiel comes to help her. And then he locks her up. (laughs) Spider-Man is like, oh boy, did anybody else see that? He realizes that everybody else saw a whole bunch of different stuff. So now, though, he knows where she is. So he goes to Ezekiel's old lab to break her out. And she's like, how'd you let me out? Ezekiel hid me so Morland can never find me. And we go to far, far away. And Morland's sitting in a bedroom with a fireplace. And he goes, a new spider. The time for the hunt is now. And so he's going to go hunt the new Spider-Man. But Spider-Man tells Cindy like, oh, well, it's cool. I killed Morlin. I got it. We're good. He's like, I killed him like twice. And she's like, twice? If he came back once, he can come back again. You've ruined everything. I was hiding from my family to protect them and now he's going to kill us all. Uh, And then we find out all this time she's been hidden away without any of Peter's burdens or responsibilities. She was able to hone her skills just out of pure boredom and practice to a level that Peter never could. So we have maybe another superior Spider-Man. Um, I will say she can shoot webs out of her fingertips and she is faster and possibly stronger than Peter. She does make a suit out of webs and she calls herself Silk. I will say her suit is very 90s looking. I don't know. It's it's okay. It's just her basically like wrapped up like a... Uh, she looks like a mummy ninja is the best description I have for her. But then uh, Silk and Spider-Man are fighting, but then their fight turns into making out. 
their ant and their spider instincts cannot resist each other. And Morlin even refers to them, uh, refers to her as a spider queen. And I think he called Peter the spider king in one of the past stories. So maybe there's some kind of like spider destiny. I don't know. So the story in and of itself is not bad. The art is really good. The design on silk, I'm kind of so-so on. I don't know how I feel about the same spider biting somebody twice and giving them powers and but then it's kind of different powers and i don't know i'm I'm undecided on how i feel about that i don't think this is like quite the lightning rod they thought the character would be if there was a bunch of twitter rage over you know a second origin story from peter parker's bite i haven't seen it so i don't know but um anyway i'm gonna give amazing spider-man number four um honestly you just have to I don't know. I don't really know how it's going to turn out. It's kind of this girl's debut, and there's not enough to her yet to really know what's going on. And because I'm on the fence on her origin, um, I'm going to give Amazing Spider-Man number four, three out of six claws. All right, and now that is all for Where's Logan? Hee <laughs> hee. Okay, and we're going to do something a little different for our last segment for our Wolverine Roundup. Roundup! Yee! That was messy. That was messier than the art and Wolverine and the X Men. Ouch. This last issue. Yeah. Clarify that because otherwise I really love the art. Yeah, so we have two books that feature X23, but then the second part of one of them has Wolverine instead. But instead of, like, trying to reorganize the order, we're just going to stick them all together. So we'll actually have a Wolverine appearance in our Wolverine Roundup. So we're going to start off with all-new X-Men number 29. This is written by Brian Michael Bendis, penciled by Stuart Eminen, inked by Wade Van Grobinger, colors by Marte Garcia and Jason Keith, VCs Corey Pettit, Woo-hoo. Does the letters, and then Eminem, Grobager, and Gracia did the cover. Anyway, on the cover, it's kind of an unnecessary cover, but it still looks really cool. It's a young angel on a uh, green motorcycle. It looks, the whole thing looks very kind of like okay. Robotech looking. It's, it's actually a pretty sweet picture. I don't know why Angel would want to ride a motorcycle, because he has wings, but what do you think of the cover? I haven't had much exposure to Angel other than the, the few snippets we've had with him. And he seems very childlike. Right. And this right here is not childlike. He no. seems like he grew up. He got his wings. <laughs> he got his wings. <laughs> I do like how his wings um, arch over the title All New X-Men. Yes, I like that too. All right. So basically we have um, the resolution of our, our latest chapter of the battle of the Adam Brotherhood from the Future. So X-23 is a surprise attacking Xavier, who we know is the uh, son of Professor X and Mystique. She looks pretty badass, but Jean Grey tells her to hold off, that they're going to surprise him, and so she stabs Xavier, knocks him down. That's a great, what do you think of that panel? Because I love that panel. Oh, I thought that was awesome. the colors and everything, yeah. Um, So basically, the basic gist is Xavier from the future did not know of Jean Grey's new powers, where she can take everyone's psychic energy, their telepathic energy, and blast it back at them telekinetically, like basically combining her two powers, which is a cool power. 
Anyway, so he was taken by surprise, and he's not able to maintain his control on the X-Men. But it turns out that everyone except for Ray's, he was actually controlling his own team as well. And they're, they all kind of get snapped out of it. And they're like, what are we doing here? Yeah. Why are we following this clown? There is a pretty cool fight between Ray's and X-23. Kind of a almost, kind of a weird, in, in a comic book kind of way, like almost sibling rivalry. Yeah. <laughs> One is like the clone daughter figure of Wolverine. And the other is uh, the son of Wolverine from an alternate future. <laughs> right. So they're kind of related, like four times removed, whatever. Um, <laughs> so anyway, the X-Men fight the Brotherhood. There's some pretty snazzy dialogue. There's a panel here where Ray's looks like Sabretooth. Yes. Thought that was interesting. But basically, they send the uh, the X-Men, or the, the bad X-Men from the future, kind of packing with their tail between their legs. Ray's is pissed. It turns out that the... Because the, they... they and the question was, we thought the old Jean Grey from the future was dead, but then she came back when this right. team showed up. But it turns out Professor X just made a psychic puppet dressed up as Zorn. And when the costume falls apart, there's no one inside. And see, they thought they just couldn't detect, like the young Jean just thought she couldn't read her mind because of the helmet. But it turns out there actually was not a mind in there at all. So they send them packing, and then we get another letter in the future. Actually, they, they capture them. So I don't want, to, don't want that to be confused. So they have uh, old, young, what do we call this guy? Xavier the second, I guess? Mini, no, he's not. Mini, mini. Xavier, yeah, yeah, that works. Okay. Mini Xavier and Ray's are, they are turned over to S.H.I.E.L.D. and put in super jail with power dampening. But then we go back to Madripoor in the future, and there's another letter sent that they... Uh, wrote themselves to find in the future. And so it looks like they'll probably try this again at some point. And then um, X-23 and Angel run off together. Looks like they kind of got a thing going, which is interesting because in the original run, Angel quit the X-Men over Wolverine. Ooh. But now this Angel, who's technically the same Angel, though he hasn't had all the same experiences, is falling for someone who's basically a female Wolverine. So it's but she's interesting. Got boobs. Well, yes. I mean, she's hot, and she's uh-huh. apparently not as um. Watch how you say this. Cranky, as Wolverine, maybe. I don't know. I mean, it's the same personality, but she hasn't been through all this. Actually, you could argue she's been through a little worse. Uh, she was when we first found her. She was um, forced to be like a child escort, like prostitute kind of. And she broke free of that. But she was trained as an assassin as a child, so she's had a pretty rough life. She may be pretty grumpy herself. <laughs> but I will say, she's pretty badass in this issue, I thought. I really like what Bendis is doing there. He's pretty much setting her up. I know the original team didn't have, like, in the original five, like, Wolverine came in the next wave. Right. But you're kind of getting the feel of what would have happened if the original five had been the X-Men with Wolverine back in the day. And she's, he's kind of setting up X-23 to be that Wolverine part, which will be interesting to me then how we proceed after Wolverine dies with X-23. Really enjoyed the art. Love Eminem. The colors are great. Everything looks great in this book. I'm kind of getting burnt out on Marvel time travel stories, and I didn't feel like... It's confusing. Yeah, I'm just... Because quite honestly, this whole we can write ourselves a note and fix it 
Well, that can just go on forever. Yes, it could. Um, I liked Ray's fighting at 23, but I was kind of ready for this story to be over. I'm going to give all new X-Men 29, three out of six claws. I'm not going to offer a grade because I I won't lie, folks. I skimmed because Jason was like, hey, we're going to do this one. I, I called an audible. Yeah. <laughs> so while I thought the art was awesome, I think the art is at least really awesome eye candy. Right. I cannot profess to the story itself. So I'll just. Fair enough. It's great eye candy. We'll leave it at that. Yeah. Um, so now we're going to move on to Uncanny X-Men number 23 and 24. A very loose original sin tie-in. Uber loose. Yeah. Number 23 is written by Brian Michael Bendis. So this is the Bendis segment with art by Chris Anka. VC's Joe Caramagna is the letterer and production. Chris Bacalo did the cover or Bacalo. And on the cover we have like, it looks like a Bible. Like that kind of, what do you call that kind of le- leathery? book cover leather stippling sure and in gold embossed letters it says the last will and testament of charles xavier all right so basically all you need to know in this book is we have a new mutant who blows up a house during a scroll invasion which if they're inferring this is secret invasion then i'm really confused on the timeline um, there's nothing secret about a big ship and a big guy coming down. Oh, no. So then there's a tabloid article I thought was funny about She-Hulk and Hercules having the, the walk of shame. She-Hulk gets a special delivery, and she gasps. Uh, Dazzler oh. has an emo breakdown. Our only X-23 panel is she's very tiny in the distance, <laughs> training with her teammates in the snow. Um, we get a flashback of Cyclops killing Professor X. Then She-Hulk jumps to the Jean Grey school and says, we have to get all the X-Men here to read Professor X's will. That means Cyclops. I will say the art of Dazzler's breakdown is really nice. And you it's phenomenal. And I also will say, as much as I love David Curiel's covers in Wolverine. Right. And thought that when, because Chris Anka did it a couple issues ago in that book. And I thought they went really well together. I find Anka doing his own colors a little more intriguing. Yes. I feel like, I, I like how... Him and Curiel worked together, and it kept kind of the color scheme of the Wolverine story consistent. Right. And plus, Curiel is just a really good color, so it's fine. But there's just something cool about the way Anka colors his own stuff. Yeah. And the scene of Daz in the bathroom going emo is really, really cool looking. It, um, there's a very cool panel where she's looking at her reflection through her hair. It's just... It's nice. Yeah, it's the actually... The nice, and the color just enhances it. And that whole book... Those two or three pages are my favorite. All right, so then we have uh, this new mutant. He's now in North Carolina, and someone stresses him out, and he blows up again. So now the, the trick is they have to somehow get Cyclops back to the Jean Grey school to hear the will. Good luck with that. <laughs> yeah, so I'm going to give Uncanny X-Men 23 four out of six claws. I like where it's going more than what actually happened. You, would you like to? I'm, I'm going to pass abstain? on that one, too. Okay. Just because, again, yeah, I, I, I sprung it on her. But you did read all of Uncanny X-Men 24. Yes, so I will be grading that one. Yes, and this is um, the exact same creative team. Except for this time, Anka also did the cover, which I will say the worst part about this issue is the cover. And it's not that it's badly drawn. I just don't like the choices. So we take one of my least favorite X-Men. Dazzler! Yes, and we do a makeover. Where she looks like the love child of two of my least favorite musicians. Courtney Love and... No. 
It looks like Marilyn Manson and Miley Cyrus had a baby. Ooh, and a threesome between Courtney Love. The only thing Courtney Love is the, the rips and the clothes, and that can easily be just an 80s groupie. Yeah, it, but she does kind of look Miley cyrus Yeah, she does, and not in a good way. No, I mean, not but, in a Hannah Montana but, kind but of a way. But who does look like... My, Miley Cyrus doesn't even look like Miley Cyrus in a good way. No, Miley Cyrus looks like Justin Bieber. They do kind of look alike. Shh, they're actually the same person. <laughs> Has both, anyone ever seen them in the same room I'm together? I'm pretty sure they're both unisex. So. <laughs> or asexual, I guess it would be more appropriate. Oh my goodness. So anyway, cover's not cool. Uh, some people like Dazzler. I'm convinced though that really the only person that likes Dazzler is Brian Michael Bendis. <laughs> you know what though? I would have totally preferred Dazzler to look more See, closely I, to how she was at the end of the other one. Yeah, like she can go a little bit emo without going like... But I mean, it does kind of make sense because she's always been a pop star. Her music has never been very... Um, she's Hannah Montana. Like one time in the, in the old comics, they tried to pass her off as listening to a Pink Floyd song, which no one what? buys. Dazzler didn't listen to Pink Floyd. She listened to ABBA and uh, maybe the Kiss album where they took the makeup off. and um, Dancing Queen. <laughs> yeah. I was made for loving you, baby. Na, 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 I can see Dazzler listening to Pat Benatar, too. Yes. Hit me with your best shot. And so now we update that. She'd probably be like a uh, queer channel fan, like listening to all the top 40 soccer mom shit. So I can, see her, I can see her dressing more direction. like Katy Perry. Yeah. I mean, let's admit it, though. Dazzler's favorite song is probably Wrecking Ball. <laughs> And she sings <laughs> And she sings to her curling iron microphone. Yes. I think Kurt Cartman should sing Miley Cyrus songs. Oh my god. Let's hear your rendition of that. <laughs> um anyway, this issue is stunning. <laughs> As soon as you get past the cover and ignore it, we have uh, Iceman moping because he makes a good point. He says, the X-Men always keep themselves so busy they never have time to actually mourn when somebody dies. And That's true. X-Men uh, tend to die a lot. They come back from death a lot, but they still die a lot. <laughs> so really it's like, yeah, we're, we're going to hold off. Right, let's see what happens. Yeah. Let's give it some time. Yeah. But anyway, um, She-Hulk is insistent that Scott Summers has to be present. And then Beast, out of nowhere, says he knows where he is. Hmm. And Storm gets kind of chippy, like, wait a second. This guy who you hate, who killed Professor X, who is also a wanted mutant fugitive, you've known his location and told nobody this whole time. Yeah, but I love his answer. I do, but I disagree with it. Why? I think it's an awesome answer. No, Beast basically cops out and says, well, I didn't want to see him. So I'm not responsible to like help bring him to justice. No, 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 no. That's not the answer. Yes, no, it hang is. On. This is the answer. Hang on. Summary says that he doesn't want to see his face, so he didn't bother to, to go track him down. No, he makes it. He says, "I don't want to look at him. I don't want any more of my life dictated by the actions of that man. I don't want my life to be his life." Right, so don't join his team. That doesn't mean you get to let him go out and do his thing if it's illegal. No, but what he's saying is, is I now, can, I can, I can. Um, 
what's the word I'm looking for? Obsess. I can obsess over where he is. I can obsess with hunting him down and trying to kill him. But we all know or bring him to justice. Yeah, but I think what he's trying to say is, is this is a never ending cycle. We're always going to be after him. We're always going to catch him. He's always going to get free. So the only way for for my life not to be controlled by, in essence, his life is to ignore him. I feel like it's an out of sight, out of mind cop out. And he doesn't want to confront his ex best friend because they have massive differences now. And also, I and I will say this because I'm I'm in saying this, I'm sounding very anti Cyclops. And obviously, in the schism, I'm more on Wolverine's side than Cyclops' side. But since Bendis has come along and started riding Cyclops in Uncanny, he's become a much richer character again. And so I'm actually kind of, I, I don't really know how quote-unquote guilty he is, or he's not, I don't believe that he's like out being a mutant revolutionary, that he's just trying to protect his people, whatever. So maybe I don't really want him to be quote-unquote captured or brought to justice, but I do think Beast should have at least let Storm know like where he was. Though I thought Storm knew too, didn't she go give something to Kitty at one point? She went, didn't she go to Kitty? She brought yeah. Kitty a leaf. And Wolverine also went there, didn't he? Because he acts surprised in this comic when he finds yes. out where the base is. Yes. And he went and, and threatened her with his claws, right? Yeah. Yeah. So a little bit of a continuity question marks. But um. anyway, I love how Wolverine shows up kind of out of nowhere. And Storm's like, Logan, where have you been? And he goes, where I go. Where I go. That's a very Wolverine uh, statement. So Wolverine is now worried that he doesn't own the property because he gave it back to Professor X. Yes. Back during one of his many troubled spells. Yes. And so Professor X technically owned it. I like how, because She-Hulk is just now finding out Scott Summer's situation. And she's very surprised that he killed and didn't know he killed Professor X. Right. And Nightcrawler, I like his, because he wasn't here. He's like, right. I still can't believe it. Right. Like, my fearless leader shouldn't be capable of this. And Rachel says he was possessed. But um, in Firestar, kind of the newbie back on the team, uh, or freshly back on the team, says, well, what does this mean then? And Wolverine crushes his beer can and says, it means we're going to settle this thing with Summers once and for all. You know, that was pretty sweet. Let's hope Wolverine recycles. Yeah. I'm sure he does. But uh, She-Hulk says, well, y'all are presuming a whole lot. <laughs> but she says she cannot open the will without his presence. So Cyclops has to be here in the story. And you want to argue with She-Hulk? Because I'll tear you in half. Yeah. Because <laughs> Wolverine's like, just read it. And uh, so Wolverine asks him, asks Beast where he is. And he says the old Weapon X facility. And Wolverine's like, what? But then he says... And it kind of looks like he's smiling. Is he smiling there? Yeah. yeah he's kind of grinning, and he says, last place I'd look, son of a bitch is good. Yeah, I think it's kind of like, man, he got me. So the X-Men are going to go try to collect Cyclops. Then we go back to South Carolina, and we have our new character, our new mutant. He's in, in Newberry. Crater. Somehow I think Newberry isn't so new anymore. No. He's in the middle of this crater where he blew up the city, and he's trying to figure out what he did. I gotta say, the color work on this page, again. Awesome. This And this panel in the middle of the first page, where it's like a zoom out of the whole crater and him standing yes. in the middle, and it's all, the brown makes it look like dusty and debris yes. and fallout. It's just well, and you have that fantastic panel. skyline. Yeah, very, very like hazy and obscure yes. in the background. 
awesome. This, these whole two pages, I'm just super impressed. Now, I wouldn't, you know, I'm a Bacalo fan, or Bacalo, or Bacalo, however you want to say it. But I wouldn't mind Anka having a run on this book. I think he, him and Bendis fit very well together. Yes. So basically, Maria Hill sends a uh, hologram to try to talk this guy literally off the edge of his crater. And, um, <laughs> off the middle of his he's crater. He's panicky, so she sends in a shield hazmat unit, but he, uh, he blows them up. So basically, he's a walking um, weapon of mass destruction. And this shield base panel where it's all color, I'm sorry, it's all purple yeah. and staticky, another great color job. Yeah. I think it looks really cool. And this guy's like, what am I? Am I a mutant? I don't know. So then we go to the new Xavier school, and they see the Blackbird, and they're like, uh-oh. And so the Jean Grey school X-Men team shows up and talks to the uncanny X-Men team. They got to go wake up Scott. Yep, he's in bed. He's not wearing any underwear. And no, but I like, at least this time, he's wearing like a Ruby Course blindfold. Well, so there's an issue we're going to get to soon in the flashback episodes uh-huh. where he, we, they show him sweeping and he's just sweeping. Like his glasses are on the table next to him. So when he wakes up, he's like, yeah, oh, what happens if, I, or, can't, I can't open my right. eyes. What happens if he wakes up with a nightmare screaming? He shoots the roof off of the place. Or, you know, heaven forbid someone comes and wakes him up unexpectedly right. and, and dies. Yeah. So anyway, Iceman says, did you ironically put yourself in jail or subconsciously? They tell him to get dressed. So he comes outside, basically says, I'm not going. I got my unitard on, but I ain't going. And Storm says, you have to. And he kind of thinks it's a trap. Yeah. Like, you're going to get me there to read the will, and then you're just going to throw me in jail or turn me over to S.H.I.E.L.D. or some bullshit like that. I'm not falling for it. But his uh, team of psychics, which somehow he's ended up with like nine psychics. <laughs> no, well, now everybody's really. psychic. Just, just four. He has a In the young presence Jean of Cyclops, Grey. you become psychic. Yes. He has a young Jean Grey and the three um, the lunatics. Emma cronies. But they say it's not a trick. It's the real deal. And, but he says he will decline the ride and he'll, he'll find his own way to the school. And we see Wolverine in State of the Plane, which I think is kind of twofold. Didn't want to talk to Cyclops. Didn't want to go back to the Weapon X facility. I really love this panel. He looks out the cockpit and it's all red, like the yeah. glass is red. And he just frowns and glares at Cyclops. And of course, he's got that new scar on his face. I like it because it's kind of like asswipe. Like it's his last, right, without right. saying anything, it's his last insult. Right. If you're not going to get on, fine. I'm still going to insult you through yeah. the window. Yep. But Cyclops sees it. And I also think, excuse me, I also, I'm getting too excited. I also think it's really cool because not Calm only down. is the cockpit red, but also, I mean, everything Cyclops sees is kind it of is red, red through his visor. So I thought there was kind of a double yeah. thing there. It's pretty cool. But then it dawns on Cyclops, wait a second, how did they find us? <laughs> yeah. I uh, thought we were supposed to yeah. be hiding. So everybody wants to go with them and see the will. Scott also assumes... That the property of the Jean Grey school and the Professor X property is going to be left to him. Hmm. And the whole premise is, well, obviously Professor X didn't know Cyclops. His best and brightest student was going to turn and kill all him. bad and kill him. And since he wasn't dead before he... I mean, you have to write your will before you die. Right. So there's a good chance that he really probably did leave it to Cyclops. And basically he says, so how are we going to handle this? I don't really want... I have my school here. Right. 
Don't really need an, and a Cyclops satellite school. really isn't looking for conflict with the other X-Men. No. And he's really trying his best to kind of stay away from them as much as, much as he can. Well, and quite honestly, I could he's see He's trying Scott. to steal some of their students, maybe, but only to, for protection. Yeah, but I could totally see Sky if they're like, you get this school, he'd be like, I don't want it. Yeah, and I, I think there's a good chance that might be how it plays out, that he just kind of gives it back. Actually, I think it'd be really cool, because we've seen... They're still pretty gruff with each other, but in some issues we've seen a little bit of the barrier come down between Wolverine and Cyclops. Right. I know Wolverine's about to die, so maybe this isn't very likely. Or maybe it'd be cool to see happen right before he dies. It's one of the last interactions that Cyclops kind of buries the hatchet and symbolically not only leaves it to the other X-Men, but specifically gives it back to Wolverine. No, Wolverine's going to die, and and Cyclops is going to go off the edge because he never told Wolverine how much he cared for him and enjoyed their friendship together. Yeah. No, I think it would be cool, like, if he basically said, we may not agree, but I recognize that you're doing something worthwhile here, and I'm going to, I I want you to keep the school and stay in charge. And my four other psychics say you're going to die. For the one month until you die. Anyway, so um, She-Hulk starts reading the written part of the will. And she gets through all the legal mumbo-jumbo, which part of that is where you live, who you are, mm-hmm. what you're doing, uh-oh, who you're married to. Well, hang on. I do yeah. want to point out something that was smart. So, yeah. you know, in your will, it says, I so-and-so of sound mind and body. It doesn't say body in Xavier's. Being of sound mind and memory. Yes. Which I find that intriguing. Hmm. Is it Maybe a Maybe he did write it after is he it died. Is it a clue? I don't yeah. know. We'll see. But anyway, this is kind of, we've had hints of part of this. Yes. But I got to say, this was a genuine, and maybe I should have seen it, but I didn't. This was a genuine little bombshell for me where he's going through just kind of his statuses. Right. And she says that he was married to Mystique. Now we know from all new X-Men that they had a kid together. Future Xavier. Yeah, is is their son. Ryan just assumed that, A, either Mystique disguised herself as somebody else and tricked him right. into impregnating her. Or if nothing else, Professor X had a lapse and it was a fling. To find out they were actually like married really actually is a surprise. And You gasped when I you did. read it. I did. From across the living room, what yeah. I heard. <gasps> yeah. It, it is funny because them having a kid kind of confused, like, it's like, oh, well, I don't know if that really fits or makes sense, but it didn't really, like, shock me. But them being married actually kind of shocks me. I will say, the one thing I think might be really cool, and we haven't really seen much of this in the comics yet, if they try, it'll have to be a little bit of a retcon, but if they try to kind of play on the, on the relationship the Mystique and Xavier have in the movies and bring that into the comics, this might be a way to kind of build some of that past in a yeah. cool way and i would be down with that i'm fine with that well and when i read this part that was my first thought was well in the movies right 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 you know they were f- friends and mystique was very much in love with xavier yes. he just didn't love her in that way yeah and so if years later he's like i was wrong i really do love you more than a sister and they got married, that makes complete and 100% total sense. Yeah, but even then, though, because, all right, so Beast finds a little she, well, first of all, Emma laughs. Her having having been on both sides of the fence, both a villain and a hero, is probably especially funny to her. But plus, I don't think she ever completely 
she was never like just blindly in love with following Professor X anyway. I mean, she loves Cyclops, but I don't right. Think. But yeah, all the X Men are shocked. But then Beast finds the uh, Shi'ar holographic projection, which has been sitting on the desk the whole time. Well, it was in the envelope with the will, I guess. Okay. And basically, he says, "My X Men, if you are watching this, and I have passed on, do know that I wholeheartedly believe that I have lived my life in the best way possible, except for all the times I was a dick, <laughs> having dedicated so much of it to making sure." And our people will see a better day, except for the times when I ruin the future. And having my home filled with your love and courage has been a life well spent, except for when I secretly loved Jean Grey and was jealous of Cyclops. I truly love you all, except for Cyclops and sometimes Wolverine. But as you all know, there have been, and Magneto, but as you all know, there have been moments of compromise that we have had to make, especially me. For me, one such compromise involves a mutant, a mutant so powerful the very existence threatened our way of life and any chance we would have for a peaceful coexistence between mutants and humans. So I, um, swept with Wolverine. What? No, sorry, it was a mistake. She's the dangerous mutant. <laughs> oh my goodness you're added extra commentary i think marvel needs to hire you yes yes he went up to mystique how you doing <laughs> but so anyway from this little speech you kind of feel like maybe it wasn't a marriage necessarily out of love no it sounds like he was trying to get something out of it i don't think he wanted to get a baby out of it why would he want to have a baby with the most dangerous mutant on the for planet? him to have a baby that means they did the nasty and yeah. Somehow must, there's feelings or... or be, Below his waist, which is still yeah. confusing to me. <laughs> Maybe they have like... Um, what, what? Oh, crap. What movie was it where they put the eye headsets on and it stimu- <laughs> <laughs> it pretends you're having sex? Uh, several stupid movies. What is it? Demolition Man? Yes, I believe that's one of them. Yes. With Sandra Bullock and... Uh, Wesley Snipes and Sly. Yes. Yo, demolition man. It feels much butter. <laughs> feels like butter? <laughs> much better. Yeah. Much better. Anyway, so the last panel, the X-Men are all shocked, except for Emma, who's like still pointing at Cyclops and kind of trying not to laugh. So what did you think of this book? First of all, I thought it looked great. I'm completely on board with Anka doing a run on this book for a while. And like I said, him coloring himself, the colors in this book were amazing. Yeah, I love the book. Didn't like the cover. Don't judge a book by its cover. No, truly, in this instance, do not. But um, the inside what? was awesome. Yeah, so what do you think of the story? I thought the story was pretty good. I thought it was awesome. This book was, in fact, I, I read this, set it down, or didn't even set it down. No. I was like, baby, got to read this. Yeah. Like, we we got to talk about this on the podcast right now. You are closing it while jumping off the sofa and shoving it in my face <laughs> all at the same time. Yeah, I love this book. It had the right amount of surprises. I like the interaction between the two teams of X-Men. I like the lead up. Both teams trying to figure out like the Jean Grey school before they leave. How are we going to deal with Cyclops right. after they meet and leave? Cyclops is like, how are we going to deal with the Jean Grey school? Like, just... The teams with each other and then amongst themselves. I thought all of that was great. Um, I'm more intrigued, maybe just because of the art, but with this new mutant than I was last issue. Right, last issue was, okay, another mutant who blows up, big deal. But this time he actually seemed a little more of a character and right. has potential. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I love this issue. I, I think everybody should read this issue. Uncanny X-Men, though, of course, is one of my favorite books right now. All right, so what do you want to grade Uncanny X-Men 24? I'm going to give it 
it five out of six. Okay, I'm going to give it six out of six claws. I think everyone expected that. Yes. <laughs> so, okay, well, let's, uh, let's wrap up. Okay, that's going to do it for episode 96. 90 snicks? <laughs> yes, again. <laughs> so, a little bit of peek uh, behind the music. VH1, Behind the Music. Behind the Music. Um, so it was a rough start, but they yes. all enjoyed. So before we roll out our, our closing credits, um, between the time that we recorded our opening, which was actually a little ways ago, We're and behind. now when we're doing our closing, we got some more news of another series. Yes. Another postpartum Wolverine series by the same writer, Charles Soule. Of course, we already talked about at the beginning at the beginning of the episode the uh, Wolverine Legacy miniseries. Well, now there's going to be a couple other things. There's going to be a Death of Wolverine, Captain America, and Deadpool one shot, which will kind of be as is being described as kind of a, a tie-in to the good, bad, and ugly story that we had in Deadpool that we covered on the podcast. Okay. So, so that can be interesting. They, of course, are all part of the Weapon Plus program together. So that, that should be cool. And then the other thing, there'll be another miniseries. This one will be called The Death of Wolverine Weapon X, or is it Weapon X Program? I can't remember now. But basically, it's going to be the Weapon X Program after Wolverine's death. And the teaser image had a helicopter and black silhouette and a bunch of silhouettes jumping out of the helicopter with Wolverine claws. So I don't know if we're getting a bunch of clones or if they're trying to repeat the process on different characters. Interesting. I'm kind of intrigued. I mean, I'm kind of in wait-and-see mode on that one. Yeah. So Soul described it as trying to take Weapon X to the next level. Like He loves the Weapon X history, but he doesn't want to just keep using it the same way. Okay. So he's trying to like open new inroads into that concept to kind of... You know, to make new stories. So right. that part has me intrigued. I just, I'm just gonna have to wait and see how they do it. I do. I mostly trust Soul. He's been a really good writer on almost everything I've read by him. So yeah, I'm just kind of, kind of whole lot of wait and see on this, this Wolverine death and post death and all that. But it'll be interesting how they tie yes. everything and pull everything off. But again, just to reassure all of you, we're we'll not have going anywhere. Plenty of stuff to talk about, even without the flashbacks. Anyway, so big news: Denise <gasps> met her fundraising goal for Yay! her marathon. But we can still—I mean, live strong. We'll still use your money for good if you want to choose to donate. So I raised a thousand dollars for Team Live Strong, and in that thousand dollars, Live Strong can help four adults navigate the healthcare system, and they can send two children to it's a summer camp that helps them understand what's going on with their parents as far as dealing with cancer chemotherapy and things of that nature so is it for kids that have cancer or kids it's for of... kids that have parents who have cancer okay. it helps them it's like a support group for yeah, them yeah, and it, helps it, them it, deal it with it yeah right. which is interesting because i'm not aware of any camps that do that it's usually an after effect oh you lost a parent let's help you but this is actually you have a parent so let's help you cope and help teach you the skills that you need to help them yeah that's really cool it is cool so it's a great cause like i said we've met or she i I didn't do anything (laughs) she met the goal but they can always use a little extra if you want to support the cause no pressure no one should feel i'm not the mob i'm not leaning on you but um if you want to do it i'll still have the link up on the website yeah, that end fundraising, I think they'll close out my fundraising page like October 1st. So until then, I'll keep mentioning it. And you can either say, yay, good idea, and just listen, or you can ignore it, or you can go donate. 
any of those three options are perfectly fine. And come race day, y'all can um, tweet to me. I won't be able to check my phone while I'm running, but when I'm done, I'll really enjoy. That's true. Yeah. yeah. So what's your Twitter? It's D-A-S underscore Venable. And that's V-E-N-A-B-L-E. So anyway, uh, that link, like I said, I'll keep it on the website until until the race today. And of course, our website is snickcast.podbean.com. Uh, please feel free to leave an iTunes review, uh, like the Facebook page. You can email any thoughts, questions, whatever, uh, snickcast at yahoo.com. Our next flashback as we kind of kick off the podcast birthday month in August, which Ooh. when this drops will probably be right around the beginning of August. But anyway, we're gonna do we're we're gonna do God Loves Man Kills. And so I put it out there on Facebook and Twitter. What did I say in the Twitter handle? At Snickcast. Now you did. Okay, well if I didn't, there it is. Anyway, but if you want to email in snickcast at yahoo.com or hit Facebook or Twitter, God Loves Man Kills is a very um important story to a lot of X fans. And so if you have any thoughts on kind of how the story hits you or like what it means to you, because I think it's a story a lot of fans, it's kind of the story that we'll, we'll obviously expand on this a lot more in the episode. But it's kind of the story that really like concretely establishes the X-Men as kind of symbolizing oppressed groups. And so if anybody's ever been through a hard time, I know that story has been important. If you've ever been part of a, a marginalized section of society it probably means a lot to you so anyway if anybody wants to give any thoughts on you know, like kind of a testimonial on what the what that story means to you um, we'll be reading some on the podcast yeah and i think it's a story that hits it can hit almost anybody yeah i i i challenge anyone to read it and not be emotionally impacted on some level yeah because i read it and i immediately like i had several emotions that sort of ran across and was like i've been there done that yeah yeah we'll talk about some of that that will probably that might be one of our longer just, episodes just because yeah just because of the scope of that of that graphic novel anyway if you want to participate in that the more the merrier i would love to just read you know thought after thought from you guys so if you want to uh get it in cool well that's gonna do it so until next time hugs and snicks bye bye